I've got nerds. This is the worst candy to do on a it's podcast. It's like the loudest candy. Ooh, that sounds fun. All right. I'm trying my best like to not eat those. the worst candy for movies, too. When people have boxes for, of nerds. First of all, it's the best candy for movies if you're the one eating them. Because <laughs> they're delicious. And if they go with movies, like, the best. Right. But... Yeah, it don't don't take those to a movie theater. Everyone around you is gonna be like looking at you. I think that's why I don't sell them at movie theaters. Like that'd be fucked. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> What's the loudest candy that's sold at a movie theater? Um, probably like M and M's. M and M's, maybe Junior Mint. No, M and M's. Yeah, I think M and M's, and even that's not it's not too bad. I remember when we saw um, a Quiet Place. Yeah, like those. <laughs> the, especially the first one, which is like super quiet. You heard everybody's candy and popcorn you heard candy you heard people eating you heard like the heavy slur- breathing as they're eating <laughs> you're <laughs> slurping of soda Ugh. <sighs> gross cool let's get started all right <laughs> welcome to films from the phantom zone your podcast about failed and forgotten comic book movies where we watch a forgotten superhero movie and decide does this belong in the phantom zone or out and about for everyone to rewatch and remember fondly my name is arnaldo i'm your host i'm joined with Birdo. I was. I almost said your name as if we haven't done this thirty other times. <laughs> so, Berto, what movie are we watching today? Hellboy Two: The Golden Army. Because we did Hellboy. That's it. Just called Hellboy. Yeah. The one from two thousand four, Guillermo del Toro, Ron Perlman. Last week we were also talking before we started. We had a lot of cool stuff coming up. So th- we're doing Hellboy for a spooky season. Yeah. I'm gonna eat these nerds now. Okay. <laughs> oh, crunch, crunch, crunch. Because yeah, I can't think of another, like, spooky movie that would fit. There's a couple. I mean, we can do, like, Spawn. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But we just reviewed Venom. Let there yeah. be carnage. We've got a Halloween spooktacular special. Okay. That's not what it's called. I just said that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we did a Christmas special for Christmas, and it was a lot of fun. We did it with my wife's table. So for Halloween this year, we're going to do the same thing. But with Halloween instead of Christmas. Yeah. Which might be even more fun. I think it's going to be a good time. We've got next month's movies. Pretty much is going to be the month of X-Men. We're going to do X-Men 1, 2, and 3. Stay tuned for that. But for today, we're doing Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, which is available on Peacock. For whatever reason, the previous movie isn't on there. It was on Prime Video. And then it's off of that and it's not on anything now? I don't think it's on anything anymore. It's <laughs> weird. So if you <laughs> if you haven't seen that movie, I don't know where you're going to get it. You can probably rent it. But this one is available on Peacock along with Hellboy, the new one from 2019. Yeah. Unrelated, though. So also don't... one of the cheapest streaming services. <laughs> yeah, unrelated. So like, don't don't get them confused. I oh, guess. with the the other Hellboy. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a reboot. Yeah, the 2019 reboot. Apparently, wasn't that good. Yeah, as long as uh, they're not making any more of those and. It's fair game for it's us. It's fair game for us. Yeah, exactly. So there are time codes in the description if you want to jump around, but we will be doing our initial expectations of the movie. No background because this is a... I, I got nothing other than what we did last week. Oh, yeah, because we already did a background like on Hellboy. and Yeah. We're going to recap the plot and talk about it as we go along. We're going to analyze the movie to the best of our ability, and then we're going to do Keep or Cancel this week on Doug Jones. Okay. So we'll decide if we're going to keep him or cancel him. Then we'll decide if this movie belongs in the Phantom Zone or not. So that's what's upcoming. Okay. Do you have any initial expectations? Well, first time I saw this movie, and I vividly remember the first time I saw this movie because I fell asleep watching it. So you vividly remember not vividly remembering anything? Yes. Cool. Like, I remember, like, I didn't see it in theaters <laughs> or anything, but, like, we had the DVD, 
and I popped the DVD in. It was like late one night. I remember this because I was just laying on a blanket by myself in the living room, and then I put this movie in because I I was like I like the first movie, so I saw up until he told Hellboy the bedtime story, and then I fell asleep. That's five minutes. I know, maybe less. And that's all I remembered from my first viewing of this movie. So you didn't watch any of the movie, basically. I think I woke up at the end when everything was happening, and I was confused oh, as hell. Wow. And I was like, I'm going to watch this again someday. And you never did. Yeah, that was like... Well, this is Sunday. That was like 12 we, years ago. Here so. we are. So <laughs> so today is the day where I watched it again. Nice. And from everything I heard, I heard it was better than the first one. I liked the first one, so I was, you know, expecting a better, like, you know, an improved version of the first movie. Basically. Yeah. This movie had a lot of buzz when it came out in 2008, and I hadn't seen the first one. So I'm the kind of OCD person who won't watch a sequel unless if I've seen the first one. I'm the same way. And it doesn't matter if someone tells me like, oh, you don't have to watch. Yeah. So it's kind of like Mad Max Fury Road. Everyone's like, oh, you don't have to see the other three movies. I'm like, nope. Which I guess you technically don't. But I will. That's what I'm saying. I'm the person who does have to. Which Mad Max is your favorite? I've only seen the first one. Damn it. Yeah. So you haven't seen Fury Road? I have not seen Fury oh, Road. Because I have to see Thunderdome. <laughs> I like Thunderdome. That's my favorite Isn't one. that the least popular one? It's the weirdest one. Yeah, so I'm still missing <laughs> Road Warrior and Thunderdome. And then Fury Road. And there's a Furiosa movie coming out, right? Yeah. God damn it. Anyway, so I was like, oh yeah, Hellboy 2, that looks great. And I remember the trailers. I remember the buzz. This movie made... Like a lot of people's top 10 lists for like top 10 movies of 2008. Yeah. Like having not seen this movie for so many years, I had always heard about how amazing it is, though. That's what I'm saying. So I was just I I always wanted to watch it. And eventually I did. I saw Hellboy 1 and 2 and I really didn't remember any of it. And I think we talked about it last week where I was like, I don't really remember how this movie. So I'm I'm glad to be watching. Had you only seen them like once and it was like way back when? Yeah. It was probably not too long after this where I was like, you know what? Let's, let's do it. Let's watch these two films. I remember like years, years, years ago um, before the MCU was as big as it is now, people were saying like, this was like on par with like Iron Man that year. I could buy that. Yeah. I think Iron Man is just, it's gotten a lot better in retrospect because of like the MCU, you know? But, like, if Iron Man was just, like, by itself and nothing else came out, Which, I'd be like, yeah, at the sure. time, that's what we thought it was. Yeah, I'm like, course. oh, it was just an Iron Man movie. Yeah, oh, hey, look, a sequel to Hellboy. Right. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, this was a busy year, obviously, with, like, Iron Man and The Dark Knight. Incredible Hulk. Y- yeah, of course. I, I like that movie. <laughs> no, but it wasn't making huge waves, like, when it came out either. <laughs> not until people saw the, not post credit scene, but, like, the last scene at the end where people were like... <laughs> Yeah, right, 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 right. Which that scene didn't make sense, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) This is for another day. I think what got me to try these movies out was uh, this movie was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Makeup. I 100% believe that. And I remember watching the Academy Awards that year, and they kept on showing all the monsters and creatures from this movie and all the makeup. I was like, that all looks incredible like i want to check this out the creature design this movie is so good oh it's stellar it's so good yeah so let's get into it so i was just kind of expecting to be pleasantly surprised again this time because i didn't remember anything from my first viewing okay cool so let's get into the plot first a title card pops up just kind of recapping like the premise of hellboy basically what happened in the first 15 minutes of the last movie okay just kind of like hey we found this baby demon right 
yeah and like it shows like the photograph from the first movie and everything right yeah, yeah yeah and right with that it really is like that situation we we're just talking about where you don't really need to watch the first hellboy to watch this one you could just watch this one because they just recap the whole thing they right <laughs> there's no like connecting threads like the characters are pretty much straightforward you could absolutely just like watch this maybe the stuff between like hellboy and liz they're dating that's all you need to know like what you know what i mean like what else was did you really yeah. need to know from the first yeah movie? there's even a throwaway line where um you find out what happened to the agent from the first movie he like got him shipped to antarctica or something oh yeah because he's not <laughs> in this movie exactly yeah, yeah. I can't remember the agent's name. Holy shit. I liked him. Yeah, he was fine. <laughs> Before I get into this next uh, scene, the next shot is like 1955 and there's a giant Christmas tree and there's Christmas music playing. I screamed out, what the fuck? Is this a Christmas movie? <laughs> because last yeah, you sent me a picture of that. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because last year I swore I went through every movie we're gonna like, do. The only one here is Batman Returns. The only Christmas movie was Batman Returns, and so like this happened. I'm like this. If this whole movie is a Christmas movie, I'm gonna be livid. Here's the thing, though. I think this movie would have been really cool if it took place like during Christmas time. Yeah, it was just that one part, and then after that, the rest of the movie is just. It's in, in like September or something. It's just present day. Yeah. And I th- I think that's kind of it. I think it says like September or whatever when we moved oh, to the present really? day too. Yeah. Should have just been set in Christmas. I think that would have been it cool. It would have been a really fun Christmas movie. Honestly, yeah. Should have been a Christmas movie. It's not. Damn, it's just Hellboy that one Hellboy 2 should have been a Christmas movie. <sighs> I'm going to, yeah. I'm gonna... Wasted opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Professor Broom, t- again, 1955. Professor Broom tells a 12-year-old Hellboy a bedtime story about the legendary Golden Army. A golden magical mechanical army commissioned by an elf king to use in a war against men. The golden army was controlled by whomever wore the golden crown. The king called the war to a truce, filled with regret for the bloodshed, and broke the crown into three pieces. He gave one to the humans and kept two for himself. He agreed that the elves would keep to the forests. His son, Prince Nuada, disagreed with the truce and went into exile, and the golden army became dormant. So this kind of does the thing that... Actually, more specifically, this does what Thor the Dark World does at the beginning, except better. I Okay, I'm <laughs> really glad you mentioned that, because I was just telling uh, Berto before we started recording, the night I watched this movie, I had started that night watching Thor the Dark World, because Sable, my wife, and I are on like a Marvel rewatch marathon, and we're on Thor the Dark World. They've been on Thor the Dark World for like five months yeah i got really turned off by iron man 3 okay Three's a great movie <laughs> anyway we watched 30 minutes of thor dark world and and sable falls asleep so i was like okay well i guess i'll we'll watch this later i'll go watch hellboy 2 the golden army and i start playing it and i'm like this is very similar to thor the dark world they almost start like the same way yeah so it's like an ancient fairy tale so it's right. this involving story elves. Involving elves wanting to, like, <laughs> wage war against everybody else and take over the world, right? And it's kind of packaged as, like, oh, it happened so long ago that now it's just kind of like a fairy tale that you tell your kids. Yeah. Because that's what happened in Thor, too. Like, later on, Thor's like, I heard the stories when I was a kid or whatever. Yeah. But I was thinking about, like, all the things that Thor the Dark World does bad and that this does good. And I think a big chunk of it is they told the story better in this in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they didn't, like, retread it later in the movie either. Right. Like, it was just kind of like what you needed to know. Yeah. It was more. It was definitely more compelling the way that Professor Broom told it instead of the way, like, Odin says it. Like, that story. Yeah. But then, like, you get to kind of know the elves. 
and like like the villains basically. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like not to make them super sympathetic, but you you could sympathize with them just a little bit. Like you know, they, you they least, have a reason for doing what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, you can at least see where they're coming from. Uh, and they're more kind of fleshed out villains, whereas in Thor, they're just kind of like, fuck, whatever, they're, they're bad guys. literally Morty. faceless because they wear masks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they speak a different language, which is like the only time in the Marvel Universe that like someone speaks a different language. Like an alien is speaking different languages. They all just speak English because it's easier and more fun for like... For the you know, viewer. For the viewer, exactly. Well, I think in the way they explain in Guardians, everybody has, like, universal translators installed. Right, right, right yeah. exactly. You know, it's a hand wave one time. Yep. And we're never going to have to sit through aliens and subtitles again. No, unless they're, like, speaking to them, like, amongst each other privately. Then yeah. maybe I could see something like that happening. Oh, well, I mean, like, in Shang-Chi, there's plenty of, like, Chinese. Yeah. But that's a real language. Yeah. And those are real people. And also, in that movie, <laughs> so, they did a really good job at, like, balancing, like, you know, them actually speaking different languages and when to speak those languages. Right. I just kept on thinking, like, God, this is way better than Thor the Dark World. Uh, and, and Thor should have taken more notes from this, yeah. which obviously came out way which, later. The part that I would say the Dark World did better was when he's, like, finishing the story and it, like, goes to, like, the title card for, yeah. for Thor. The score that plays is beautiful. I love it. I like the music in, in Thor it, a lot. It's so good. It's very good. I liked It's that way better than the movie is. It really is. There's a lot... I mean, you know, we're not talking about Thor of the Dark World. There, it has a lot of good elements in that movie. Yep. It just has a lot of bad stuff that brings it down. But I think it's still an okay movie. I don't think it's bad. Like, overall. Like, overall, yeah. I think it's fine. But it's really lifted up by its good things. Cinematography is really pretty in that movie, too. Oh, way better than the first one. Oh, my God. Way <laughs> better. It's just it has some really good, like, screensaver moments in that film. And the music, the score is great. I think that movie actually had a lot of studio interference from Marvel, though. Yeah, that one was supposed to be. What's her name? Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins. And yeah. she dropped out. Yeah. <laughs> because it wasn't the movie she wanted to make. Yeah. Probably a lot of Ike Perlmutter getting involved is what I heard. Yeah, and but, he, he was a big problem like back in those days yeah, of Marvel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we've talked about it. Yeah. What was I saying? Oh, that I like how it, when they do the play in Thor Ragnarok, like they're playing that music again. Yes. But it's like played by a band. <laughs> it's and like it's not good. As, it's, it's so good. It's good. It's just like a, right. a like a theater group was playing it, you know, like yeah. it's a smaller kind of an arrangement. But like last thing to say about the Dark World, though, I do appreciate how later in the MCU, like that movie kind of retroactively becomes like important important (laughs) very important actually but yeah yeah. no seriously did you like the sequence the the like the flashback storytelling because it's all told with little dolls yeah that's one of the parts i vividly remember is the puppets well that's the only thing you saw (laughs) yeah but the fact that i still remembered it like as i was watching like this is where i fell asleep right here nice (laughs) it reminded me a lot of uh there's a movie called the book of life oh yeah oh that's a good movie yeah (laughs) Yeah. and it reminded me a lot of the same little figurines they're just like they're like wooden dolls they look like uh uh, marionettes a little bit they're just like wooden dolls and the whole movie is told with these dolls like instead of like cgi character i mean they are cgi characters but they're cgi wooden dolls also book of life is way better than coco i think they're pretty much on par i mean coco Um, obviously ripped off book of life but i think i feel like has like more heart in it i I think they're both good yeah (sighs) I, don't get me wrong. I think I like Book of Life better. It's easy to be like, oh, Coco is you know is Disney and ripped it off, but Coco is still very good. It's still sad. It's still all that stuff. But anyway, yeah. Most important thing is that it's sad. <laughs> <laughs> but like this animated sequence, like where he's telling the stories, yeah, it was really good looking. 
It was. And for a minute, I was like, what movie am I watching? Did I, did I pop in the right thing, you know? <laughs> no, I liked it a lot. I, I also, think, yeah. I also like when, uh, like, PG-13 movies, like, use, like, these little animated type sequences to, like, get a little bit more violent. Because, like, you actually see some of, like, the humans getting, like, impaled and shit and, like, thrown around. Oh, by the little puppets? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I remember that. <laughs> I saw it. I was like, holy shit. The little boy, Hellboy, he looks really bad. Yeah. What What was going It would look a lot better if he didn't have huge fake teeth. The teeth were a little bit of a bother to me, but I think what really bothered me was his voice. Yeah, that too. Something like, or maybe it was his voice with the mouth. It seemed like that scene was dubbed over. It, it, well, it definitely it was. It felt very no, dubbed over. No, it definitely was. That was definitely yeah. ADR. But... You might have not had to do that if you didn't give him huge fucking teeth, first That's of all. That's true, because the kid, the kid might have been talking, like, in the scene. It was like, hur, hur, hur. But it also sounds like a six-year-old talking in, like, a yeah. 12-year-old's body. Yeah. He sounds way too young. I thought that was weird. But, like, I would like the scene, though. The age, I don't think, adds up when you think about it. Because if he ages slowly, this is roughly, like, 12 years after they found him. And he looks like a 12-year-old. He should be like a 6-year-old or like I, an infant like toddler. Yeah, but it's also like not important at all. <laughs> so, true. moving on. <laughs> Prince Nuada practices his moves with a spear, seemingly underground in a subway tunnel again. Uh, luckily, there's not any more subways in this. Because in the last movie, it was like all subway tunnels. Yeah, no, this is just where he hangs out, I guess. But for a second, I was like, no. Is this whole movie going to take place in the subway system? <laughs> yeah. He and his monster henchman, Mr. Wink. Great name or horrible name, by the way? I think it's a good name for somebody as like... For the way he looks, you wouldn't think that his name would be like Wink. It's ironic, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. Because he, like he looks like a scary monster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he and his monster henchman, Mr. Wink, attack an auction where the human's piece of the royal crown is being offered. Where the fuck did they find this piece of the crown? It kind of like... I think the thinking is, and it kind of makes sense that whereas the elves are pretty much the same, you know, so many thousands of years later. Yeah. Humans are like, like, they don't give a shit. They don't <laughs> like, give a shit about, like... They, they, don't, they don't respect, like, their history. They didn't stay one kingdom forever. This is just some artifact to yeah. them. Yeah. Like, we kept on fighting wars and expanding and colonizing. And, and years later, the crown is nothing but a relic that no one even really remembers. Be like, the guy, like, was able to date it and, like, speak about it, but, like, That's they don't know it. the significance. Yeah, you they know just, what I mean? To them, it's, like, literally just, like, hey, this is an old artifact that dates back to the blah, blah, blah. Who wants to buy it? Yeah, it's worth money because it's worth money, and that's it. And that's a fair point. Humans suck. <laughs> so This movie's kind of based around that fact. Uh, yeah, there's some other things about how, like, it basically, like, you know, society's fucked, and we don't, like, you know, we're mean, and we don't cherish anything. Like, good thing. Yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> but, by the way, I'm just, like, allergies out the ass today. Your voice is going to sound all fucked. Well, I've also been screaming a lot lately. I went to a football game. Uh, over the weekend, and I also yell at like the games on TV. So huh. it's just a and lot we of yelling. We were at a hockey game last week. Yeah, but oh, we were yelling at that yeah. too. Yeah, there was just so many fights. It was great. Kill him! Kill him! <laughs> uh, the man we kept on calling FBI director last week, whose real name is Agent Manning, arrives to the BPRD to talk to Ape Sapien. As in the background, the BPRD is having trouble containing its various confined monsters. It was a great gag, I thought. It was actually really funny. <laughs> yeah. Help. Again, it's 
it's how do you recap like the last movie yeah. like in context like you know visual storytelling right and, and it's like how do we show you what this place is right like here's yeah. what they do but we're not devoting any time yeah. to it and it's, it's just, like totally normal to them yeah it's just happening in the background as a gag like that's that's good yeah. and I they're think. just having this conversation ignoring oh, yeah. right or at least abe is <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hellboy is fighting with Liz, who's on fire. The two are dating now and living it together in Hellboy's apartment within the BPRD. Manning gives Hellboy instructions to stay incognito. So he's just mad that, like, Hellboy keeps getting, like, photographed and, like, the legend of Hellboy is just getting, like, more spread and less <laughs> far-fetched, right? Yeah, because he mentions in one of them he literally posed for a picture. <laughs> yeah, he, like, has a piece And it gave an autograph. <laughs> What do you think of this lighthearted tone? Because it's like a huge change from the last movie, I think. I actually liked it. Because normally I don't like when something shifts from like serious to lighthearted, but something about the way it's done here is just yeah. good. At first I was like, what's going on here? This is like, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I'm like, I'm having fun, but this is a huge tonal shift from the last movie. Well, I feel like a part of it is like, because I was thinking about it as a perspective, like somebody that works there. Stuff like this isn't, like, amazing or scary to you anymore. It's just your everyday life now. So you're yeah. just kind of like, ah, eh, whatever. Like, that's why, like, you might see something like, uh, but then, like, that's, like, it. So the fact that he was just having, like, this conversation while everything was happening in the background, that was perfect to me. Yeah. I Cause, think... Because these guys aren't going to give a shit what's going on in the background. Like, yeah. But, I mean, as this movie progresses, like, it, it is more of a comedy and it's more lighthearted than the last one. Yeah. It, but I can also honestly say, like, it made me laugh. Oh, like, this movie's funny. Like, it actually yeah. made me laugh. <laughs> well, it, you know what it reminds me of? It made me think of, like, a sitcom that, like, finds its footing, like, ten episodes in. Yeah. You know, where it's like, it found what it needs to be in order to succeed. Like, they, they kind of figured it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that's what this is 100%. And I think this movie takes itself seriously when it needs to. Yeah, there, sure. There, yeah, there are course. certain parts where, like, that are kind of serious and deep in this movie. For sure. The team investigates the auction house in downtown Manhattan. There they discover thousands of tooth fairies, the small creatures deployed by Prince Nuada that eat flesh and bones. Abe makes contact with Liz and feels that she's pregnant. The ravenous tooth fairies eat the human agents, and Abe finds a safe to hide in while Liz lights on fire to kill the fairies. Hellboy is launched out of the window and lands on a cop car, much to the dismay of Agent Manning. He's now exposed to the public where he's questioned by the media. So the tooth fairies are actually kind of terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> they reminded me of the little pixies from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. You remember those little things? Yeah, except these things fucking eat you mm-hmm. <laughs> alive. It was at this moment that I realized what they're doing here. Where instead of like the last movie was playing off of like more serious mythologies like ancient Egypt and Lovecraftian like horror yeah. books. This one's like... Fairy tales. Yeah, more like fantastical stuff. Like, because we got the elves at the beginning. We have elves, goblins, Tr- trolls, trolls, orcs. There's a beanstalk, a jumping bean. Yeah. I want to say there's at least one more like fairy tale creature. There definitely is. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. You know, it's at this point where I'm like, oh, again, it's a more lighthearted tone. And this is after Pan's Labyrinth, too. Where he made a movie very much about, like, a dark, gritty fairy tale. Yeah. And I think he's bringing some of that in here. I wouldn't say this scene was very lighthearted. <laughs> no, no, no. no. 
<laughs> no, we see like agents get eaten alive in like yeah. seconds. Because the little tooth fairies, like they basically like eat bone, so yeah. they'll eat through your flesh to get to your bones. Yep. But like obviously, like your your teeth are already exposed, so might as well go there first. Did you notice that they make a tooth drilling sound? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it at first, but I, you know, it's probably intended to like make you think about the dentist and just be like uncomfortable, uncomfortable, and feel it in your teeth. I felt it in my teeth, and I didn't realize why until later that I heard, like, the <laughs> drilling sound again. Okay. You know what I mean? That's clever use of um Yeah, like, foley. I mean, because if, if you were to, like, close your eyes, you could probably, like, envision that sound. You hear you know? the tooth drill, and you hear people screaming in pain. Yeah. <laughs> also, Hellboy totally got launched out of the window on purpose, right? I think that was the implication because he was. She was like, "Get away from the window," and he's like, "Nah." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they seem to have no regards for the human characters, the human agents. No, well, those guys fried up real quick. There was like that one guy that Hellboy liked in the first movie. Yeah, that but died, in this and one. then yeah, in this movie, yeah, they don't really care about the human agents at all. No, not at all. Prince Nuada goes to see his father, the Elf King Balor, now hiding in an abandoned factory. Nuada shows that he's acquired the human crown fragment and wants the other two from his father and twin sister, Princess Nuala. By the way, I hate their names, and I hate that they're so similar. Nuada, it was very confusing. Nuala. Well, they're also twins. Sure, but it was very confusing the entire time. Uh, <laughs> he fights his way through the guards and slays his father for the crown piece. Princess Nuala runs off with the final piece. This was a good scene. It was, and it goes back to what I was saying about Thor. Like, if the... Dark Elves in that movie had some scenes like this mm-hmm. where you get to kind of at least like learn the characters, empathize with them a little bit. Give a shit about Malekith. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like that would have worked so much better. Yeah. Because yeah, at this point you see that like he does care about his family a lot, but whatever his mission is, like it's far more important to him Yeah, than like even his father. I also like seeing... Like the real life, not real life, but like in this movie, the real life <laughs> versions of these fairy tale creatures compared to like when we saw the storytelling sequence. Oh, yeah. Where it was all just kind of like they're little puppets and they're very cutesy. That was like made for kids because he's telling like a kid's story. Right. But the thing that gets boiled down into like a cute nursery rhyme or a fairy tale is like the nice stuff. You know, like it's kind of like Ring Around the Rosie. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's about the bubonic fucking plague. <laughs> but it makes it sound really, like, fun and, and kid-friendly, right. you know? Because of the prince and his beliefs, there's some infighting with the elves. It's mostly just the prince against everybody else. But I was about to say, well, there were, like, elves that, like, were rising to his cause. I think he expected some to. <laughs> <laughs> and the action, especially in this scene, was really good. Yeah, and there weren't, like quick cuts or anything you get no. to actually see a lot of it happening the choreography was definitely a step up from the last film yeah because that was one of our complaints the last yeah. one the action like felt slow it felt a little cheap Sluggish, like low budget and, and it yeah. probably was i keep forgetting to compare the budgets oh, we'll true. do it later but this feels like it's like twice as expensive oh yeah you know what i mean specifically like action choreography and with this fucker uh nuada the prince and his spear you can see how they went and got the good guys yeah you know? Hellboy is delighted with the media attention he's receiving. The team awaits a new agent set from Washington, D.C. to assist with their now public operation. It's a German agent named Johann Kraus, who is reduced to ectoplasmic smoke by an accident. A steampunk suit resembling an old diving suit contains his energy. 
Kraus uses his powers to revive a tooth fairy and question it before it dies a very dramatic death. <laughs> I love that when, because uh, basically like, Kraus is like injecting it with life for a moment so they yeah. can like, you know, see what's, get any information or whatever. And then when it runs, when he like runs out of like juice or whatever, it just kind of like, and it like falls very like dramatically. Dramatic death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of cute, but kind of horrifying at the same time. Yep. I I like Kraus. Did you did you recognize his voice? Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane. And it <laughs> took me a while. Like halfway through the movie I'm like I know this guy. Like <laughs> what is this voice? And then it, he said a word and I was like, "Yep, that's definitely him." <laughs> Apparently it was originally a different actor, a German actor, like an actual German actor. <laughs> but between like his accent and like the sounds of the machine that they would put on with his voice, it would, I guess, got confusing. Like, too difficult to understand. Maybe too difficult to understand for, like, Americans, you know? I could see that being an issue. Because Seth MacFarlane just does, like, a German accent, but he's clearly an American He's an American man doing a German accent. Doing a German accent, almost in a comedic way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this is the family guy guy. stereotypical. Yeah, as I'm watching, I'm like, this guy doesn't really sound German. He sounds like he's pretending to be German. So I think for the character it kind of works. Though. I think it works because this is what this is. This is like a lighthearted comedy at this yeah. point. You know, I would have preferred it be like either genuine. a genuine German accent or like a convincing German accent. <laughs> but Seth MacFarlane, I mean, he's great with voices, but at the same time, like you could tell that's like Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, <laughs> but like Kraus is a very like unique character to add to this movie. I think he has these abilities where he can literally like control anything he's a ghost he's a ghost inside of a robot body basically a ghost which is kind of cool yeah i go back and forth because i on the one hand i'm like this character adds nothing to the story (laughs) you know he's a temporary antagonist he's a plot device at some points he's a bit of a laugh and then ultimately like he's not needed in in, like to tell the story or whatever at the same time i enjoy him and i appreciate how they're just like Here's a ghost man. Let's move on. And it, that's just it. <laughs> and you're just like, what? Can they I... don't waste a lot of time no. trying to explain it or anything. At all. And I feel like in a different movie, they'd be like, we have to devote 10 minutes to this guy. Let's like do a 10-minute flashback. Yeah, like an origin. We have to talk about it. And this one, they're like, here is a ghost filling up this fucking like suit, like a <laughs> like an inflatable like man, basically. Deal with it. Yeah, Let's like, move an on. An accident happened. Now he's like this, so. <laughs> but that's kind of like the universe that this is set in. And and that's something that I do like about this movie is how much universe building it has. It almost feels like it's not set in the same world as the last movie because it's just kind of like, and here's some trolls. Cool. Here's some elves. Here's the fucking angel of death, which we'll get to. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just kind of like deal with it. Like this is the world you're in. Yeah. We're not going to like spoon feed it to you. You're in this like uh, mythical world now. Just pay attention. You'll get it. Yeah. I like that a lot. They go to find the troll market under Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, that's the other thing. And again, part of like the whole, they're doing fairy tales now, is that they're like, oh, we got to find the trolls. And he's like, well, first of all, we know that trolls live under bridges. And I'm like, that's a fairy tale. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they're working all this cool like fairy tale knowledge. Yeah. And they're like, the- oh, we pinned it down to like, what was it like the east side of the Brooklyn Bridge or something like that? Yeah. And Hellboy's like, I already checked there. But I guess there's a certain way. He was like, not with me. Yeah. <laughs> So they go to find the troll market under Brooklyn Bridge with goggles that show the true nature of things supplied by Kraus. They're able to identify trolls hiding as humans. One disguised as an old lady is about to eat a cat, 
which enrages Hellboy. He punches her, threatens her with a canary, and she takes him to the troll market door, which Krauss uses his smokiness to open. This whole sequence is really fun. It's fun. It's silly, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Obviously, he he has a thing with cats. Like, he he's a cat guy. Yeah, he, he wasn't about to let a cat get eaten. Oh, no. Hell no. no. Um, Hell I, no. <laughs> Hellboy, no. <laughs> I missed the part about the canary. Like, are trolls scared of canaries? They mention it. It's said very quickly in dialogue. Mm. But they explain yeah. why they have the canary there. Yeah. Again, they're not going to spoon feed to the audience. So it's just kind of like, here's two characters saying something. They already know. Yeah. Like, they're both aware that canaries scare trolls. They've already read about it in the lore sure. somewhere. It's kind of like uh, that trope of, like, why are the bad guys talking about their plan? They already know the plan. Oh, it's for the audience? Yeah. This is kind of like not doing that. It's we like, we get bits of the information you know, we have to piece Yeah, you have to kind of piece it together, yeah. exactly. Which is better. It's more realistic. Yeah. I love the line, someone on the street just goes, hey, you're Hellboy. And he just goes, I know, I'm ugly, and just keeps walking. Yeah. I like how, like, throughout this movie, Hellboy starts to realize, you know, huh, maybe, like, being known isn't the best thing. Slowly, yeah. Yeah. And that is a that is a recurring theme in this film. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess, like, monsters and fitting into society, right? Yeah. So when they go into the, like, inside the Brooklyn Bridge somewhere underground, there's, like, a troll market. So it's basically, like... It's like Diagon Alley, and it's like it's there, but you didn't know it's there, and that's where all these yeah. people are coming. And you go in, and it's almost like a whole another world. Creatures galore, yes. Right? I love that. It seems to me that this for this film, they were like, feels like the studio's like, you know, Guillermo, that you've made a name for yourself now since the last movie. Do literally whatever you want. And he goes all out with this. It's balls to the walls, creatures. Yep. Like there's a design for everything. And it's kind of crazy that, like, the last movie didn't have that. The last movie had one creature. It was, like, the Samael dog. Yeah. And we saw ten of them. Instead of seeing, like, different kinds of creatures, we just saw ten of the same one. Right? Now we see, like, way more than that in just this one scene. I would love to go back and count how many different, like, creature designs there are in this film. There's There's at least, like, 15. There's that, like, child that was, like, actually a tumor. Oh, my God. I loved him. It was so, like, gross looking, but he's... (laughs) I that made me laugh. Babe, I was like, oh, we're sorry, get to that, by sorry, but scaring the kid away. He goes, "I'm not a kid. I'm a tumor." <laughs> <laughs> and it just like goes back to sleep on top of the guy. Yeah, it was uh, so weird. It's so great. Creature design is great. Later on, we're going to talk about trolls versus goblins. It all seemed the same to me, but it's whatever. Wow, that's very human of you to say. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's so woke. <laughs> I don't see race. Uh, Abe recognizes the royal seal on Princess Nuala, who is incognito. Hellboy is punching and slapping as many trolls as he can for his information. He's relishing in this. I love that. He's just like, fuck you. Slap. What do you know? Tell me. Slap. Just like. Uppercut. (laughs) Uh, One troll lets slip that Prince Nuala seeks the golden army to wage war on mankind. That's That's the one that said, I'm not a baby. I'm a tumor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's so good <laughs> meanwhile princess nuala and abe discover that they have the same powers and can read each other's minds she has acquired a map to the location of the golden army that her brother will need and they're interrupted by prince nuala's monster mr wink who fights hellboy 
I wrote this down. And I don't remember why. There are so many teeth references. Uh, LOL he, is teeth a theme. He punches out one of Hellboy's teeth, I think. Okay. Because at this point in the movie, they've mentioned teeth like six times. Yeah. And also like little little boy Hellboy has just enormous teeth. And he's brushing his teeth in the movie, in that scene yeah, too. There is a lot of teeth imagery in this There's movie. too much teeth. <laughs> Maybe it was meant to like make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know. It was interesting because, like, at this point, again, I wrote it down, but after this, you, there's no more teeth referencing. No, there's a lot in the beginning of the movie. Though. Yeah, it's a lot of teeth talk. <laughs> um, there's a couple things in this movie I don't like, and one of them is uh, the Princess Nuala. I don't think she's a very good actor. No, like, she was all right. She was fine. I think she was the weakest one, like, by far. <laughs> Yeah, but but, all these other people are such great actors. Yeah, there's there's just great fun performances top down. Yeah. So and then they fight and uh, Mr. Wink dies by getting like grinded up. That was fun. I like that. <laughs> there's a lot of gears in this too, like oversized gears. Yeah, it's very it, steampunk, and it looks really cool. Yeah, <laughs> but think about this: like there are a lot of gears in this movie. Yeah, like the right here, the troll market full of gears. Kraus is full of gears. The entire golden army is like... It's just made out of gears. Yeah. <laughs> Prince Nawada learns that Mr. Wink is dead and sends a jumping bean after Hellboy. The bean finds water in the sewer and grows into a giant beanstalk and then a monster. Hellboy saves a baby stuck in a car and fights the beanstalk with the baby in hand. While fighting, he throws the baby in the air to load his enormous pistol, catches the baby, and shoots the monster in the face. Prince Nuada tries playing to Hellboy's sympathy for the creature, the last of its kind, but he shoots it anyway. The creature falls and spreads flora all over the buildings around it. Did he not learn anything from the box of cats in the last movie? It was when he was fighting, holding the cats. <laughs> Everyone's like freaking out about the little cats. It's just like kittens or this whatever. It's a baby. It's he a throws way, it into the air. way worse this time. It's a human baby. Tosses uh, it into the air. I just feel there was plenty of opportunities for him to put the baby down. Yeah. Like, there was or plenty of time. He was, like, right next to the mother when he grabbed the baby. Yeah. At, at that point, he could just been like, here you go. Instead, he just, like, ran off with it and fought <laughs> and this creature. And started fighting a giant monster. <laughs> with the baby in his hand. I thought it was interesting that Nuato was trying to, like, be like, hey, you know, this creature is the last of its kind. You shouldn't kill it. As he unleashes it on a city of innocent people. Oh, yeah. That's like a last-ditch effort. It was like a Hail Mary on his part. <laughs> like, maybe this will work. I mean, it plays into, like, later on when he's trying to kind of, like, you know, be like, there's going to be a war between, you know, us, like, mythical characters or whatever. And humans. And humans. Yeah. Like, we're already hiding from them. Can't you, a fucking demon, like, at least sympathize with us and be on our side? I get it, but also, maybe... Don't try to appeal to somebody's sympathy after you've repeatedly tried to kill him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> sure. Uh, of course. <laughs> the police arrive and are confused about why Hellboy is holding a baby. The baby's mother and onlookers yell at him, call him freak, throw things, and Liz lights up. They regroup back on base where the TVs are playing a conservative anchor speaking about the BPRD's federally funded promotion of interspecies marriage that threatens traditional families. Yeah, what a weird... There's an obvious, like, <laughs> yeah. commentary there about, like, gay marriage, right? Right. Like, it couldn't be more on the on the nose. Just because, like, 
I mean, according to the movie, they saw a human lady and a big red monster and have surmised that they're a couple. And because the BPRD is a federal Which funded program. they are, but... I mean, they are, but, like, they didn't know that. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, look, your government supports interspecies marriage, and that's a threat on traditional family values. <laughs> look, that's literally a demon. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's about gay marriage, right? Yeah. There's a weapon in his hand. <laughs> that is his hand. It clearly looks like a hand. like That too, yeah. Yeah, it's big and, like, stone-looking. but It like, could be a weapon. A, it's a hand. Yeah. <laughs> this is the point of the movie where I was like, ha I figured out the themes. Like, it's about gay marriage. and It's about gay marriage. It's about, it. you know, this is a gay story, and that would have been great. No, that's too fast, too furious. <laughs> yeah, that's too fast, too furious, yeah. Um... But it's not, you know, the rest of the movie doesn't really go with that. It just kind of like it, it plays into the theme of like these are outsiders who don't fit in with society. Right. Uh, and that's kind of what this movie is about. And this is just one example of that, you know, making a reference to like gay marriage uh, and how like uh, people were like appalled with that, you know, yeah. back whenever. I mean, still, but like it's, yeah, it's legal now. There's, people still are. But of course. Yeah. The. Jack and the Beanstalk thing was kind of f- cool. <laughs> yeah. I like uh, how at first it was like, eh, it's just a jumping bean. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I was just like, wait, a jumping bean? This isn't going to end well. <laughs> like, <laughs> but that's kind of the point. Like, you're supposed to kind of know what happens. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to understand kind of these tropes, right? as soon right? as the princess was like, it's trying to get to the water. Like, Ooh. that's when everyone was like, oh. Because Jack waters the beans, right? That's how they grow. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Also, I like how the, like this beanstalk, it was like a, a forest god is what they referred to it as. Oh, did they really? Yeah. I liked how he just like died and, and just spread flora all over the place. And everyone was like, oh, this is beautiful. You know what I mean? What a beautiful corpse. <laughs> <laughs> but it is kind of that whole like, you know, the creatures are more in tune with like nature. nature. Yeah. Than like humans are who are just like oh we're gonna build cities and we don't need parking lots and shopping malls yeah like they... the prince said <laughs> yeah he does say that exactly <laughs> Hellboy is bummed out that the world fears and hates him Liz is bummed out that Hellboy is obsessed with his public persona and threatens to leave saying do you need everyone to like you or am I enough Meanwhile Abe and Princess Nuala get to know each other in the library Strauss c- criticizes Hellboy in the locker room. About his lack of respect for protocol and authority, and points out his horrible temper. Is it Strauss or Kraus? Oh, wow, it is Kraus. <laughs> Have I been saying Strauss? No, right? You said Kraus at first. Oh, no. I think we only talked about him the one time. But yeah, you said Kraus. Oh, no, Krause I have been there. saying Kraus. I fucked up. I'm Stra- sorry. Like Strauss, that's, that's a different name completely. Still yeah. German, but. Thank you for catching it. Yeah. Krauss criticizes Hellboy in the locker room about his lack of respect for protocol and authority and points out his horrible temper. Hellboy loses that temper and punches him in the glass dome helmet, which breaks, and Krauss's gaseous form leaks out. Krauss inhabits the lockers instead and beats Hellboy up before gleefully floating away. The scene was funny as hell. The scene was hilarious. <laughs> I, I actually thought that, like, did he die? Like at he, first, I thought that too. Like, did he just kill him? Can he not live without the suit or whatever? And apparently, it's just the suit 
gives him form. Yeah. You know what I mean? It gives him something to Let's walk, him, like, around walk around and, and touch and things, grab and, yeah. things and pick things up and whatever. But he can inhabit all kinds of things, apparently. As we see, he inhabits the locker. Yeah. And beats the shit out of him. We're just like the doors or whatever. First of all, Hellboy, just take a step to your left. You'll be fine. But he just <laughs> stays there like a bozo. <laughs> He's just like, like, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> But again, it goes back to kind of like how they introduce this character and they're like, yeah, just roll with it. And you learn these things as you go along. Like, you know, another movie might have explained it at the beginning that, you know, you know that whatever, the suit gives him form and he doesn't really need it to survive. But by not knowing that here, we're just kind of like, oh, shit, like we know what uh, Hellboy knows. So for a second, he's worried that he killed him over like a petty thing. You know what I yeah. mean? Well, he's like worried for a second and he just starts drinking his beer again. Yeah, right. Because, again, he... He doesn't actually care about him. (laughs) The way he just kind of walks away, like, he's in completely, like, gas form. And he just walks away, like, whistling a tune, like, All, like, smug-like, too. (laughs) After, like, um, lecturing Hellboy about, like, his emotions. Yeah. Hellboy calls him a glass hole? Why not call him gas hole? Because he's not made up of glass. He's made up of gas. Maybe it's because of the glass, like... Yeah, but like he just Bowl. he just beat you up as gas. Why not just call him asshole? Why do you have to make a pun? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point too. <laughs> Somewhere in this scene or in this sequence, we see uh, Hellboy drink a shower beer. It's when you take a beer in the shower, and I just want to take a moment and promote this idea because oh, if, it's fantastic. if you've never done this, you need to do it. Next time you're about to take a shower and you plan on drinking beer, take the beer with you to the shower. And have it there. It's not going to make you an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. Don't, so don't no, worry don't, about that. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I don't have a problem. <laughs> it's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying this is a thing. I'm not making it up. It's this a is thing. A, this is a real thing. Tons of people do it. It's just like the combination of just like, just like the relaxed state that you are in, the, in like a nice hot shower. And then drinking know? a cold beer. And then drinking an ice cold beer. It just makes the shower feel hotter, and it makes the beer feel colder. It's just a perfect combination. I'm sure you can drink any very cold beverage and get a similar effect, but... Get beer. (laughs) Do beer. (laughs) Max thinks shower beers are disgusting. Why? I don't know. I almost want to get a a, a suction cup cup holder to put in my shower (laughs) for shower beers. And I, I don't do them that often. I'm not. I don't need a every beer time every time I shower. Yeah, every fucking time I shower, I need a beer. <laughs> Jeez. But I mean, it's it's great. You got to try no, there, it out. There's something that just feels nice about it. Try it out and let me know. Come back to me. Hellboy catches Abe listening to a popular love song CD, who has fallen for the princess Naula. Fucking a Naula. Right? Is it Naula or Naula? What's his Nauda? Nauda? He's Nauda. Nuada. Nuada. Fuck, she's Nuala. Yeah, yeah, I spelled all yeah. this shit wrong. He's Nuada, she's Nuala. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, go, 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 Yeah, right. I was reading, I'm like, that isn't, something yeah, doesn't yeah, look yeah. right. You I got the A up. and the U. I fucked that up. <laughs> uh, who has fallen for the Princess Nuala because he relates to her being an outsider. He and Hellboy share beers and get wasted together <laughs> as Prince Nuada finds the base. Right. It's kind of adorable that Abe fell in love with the princess. It, yeah. It's, it's also cute. adorable that he confided in Hellboy about it, and they just got shit-faced together. I think it's more adorable that he's secretly, like, listening to, like, pop love songs. <laughs> Hellboy, Barry Manilow Hellboy, songs. <laughs> yeah. Hellboy walks in, and, and he switches over to, like, Mozart, because that's what he... That's, that's, that's his thing. That's Yeah, right. That's yeah. more his style or whatever, but... 
Again, after that last scene, I was like, oh, this scene's about like coming out, the gay experience, the gay marriage. And so here I'm looking at this and I'm like, this movie's more about like being outsiders. Yeah, which like, you know, the I said the gay experience. That's not the right verbiage, is it? Yeah. Kind of like uh, the black experience or the Hispanic experience. It's the experience of being this person. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that's it, it just sounded weird when I said it. But yeah, that falls into like all this outsider stuff. But yeah, I do believe it's primarily about like being an outsider like in general yeah because a lot of these people seem to be just kind of misfits all around yeah that was one thing that they just referenced to kind of support their theme but here i did kind of grab a little bit of like if you were to make those kinds of connections which i get which again might not be there that might be me just kind of like projecting what i think it is is that like liz she's a human with superpowers but she's still a human so she only half relates to hellboy In that sense, where Hellboy is like a monster, right? Whereas Abe is a monster and Nuala is an elf. They're both outsiders. And that's kind of one of the reasons why he falls for her. And for me, I'm like, that could be, again, I'm I'm not gay. I don't, I don't know. I can't speak for that, but it kind of could speak to kind of the difficulties of like finding a partner when your dating pool is way smaller. You know what I mean? I can see that. And how like... Maybe how your insecurities are because of it, because, you know, Hellboy and Liz's relationship is just full of his insecurities in this movie. Yeah. Um, but she and again, in this metaphor, she might be representative of like a bisexual person. She's like, well, my dating pool is much larger than yours. I don't feel the same things you feel about how you're locked away from society because like, you know, I could be with other people if I wanted to. Right. Right, but like obviously she would still have her struggles too. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. But like they're different than his. Yeah. And remember like earlier in the movie he's like and again that this might not be what this is about. This might be just like it's something that I noticed, but like earlier in the movie he has a problem with how the world sees him and she doesn't. She's like, "Well, what do you care what they think? Shouldn't you just care what I think?" You yeah. know what I mean? Because again, she's not the one. I mean, she sort of is cast out. Remember then in the last movie, she kind of does it to herself though because she's afraid of what might happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she kind of casts herself out yeah. in that last movie, but in this one, she seems to be more kind of like I've got my shit figured out now. <laughs> like, you need to figure out your shit. She definitely seems to have her powers under control. Yeah, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, uh, it's just something I noticed, but for the most part it's it is definitely about kind of like again, like outsiders, society, your place in the world, right? Yeah. Also, earlier, the princess, because she's a twin and she's like an elf, her and her brother are like very much linked together. They can share thoughts, feelings, and like injuries, we learn. Um, And she says, you guys brought me here. I know where this place is. My brother will come here because he now knows where it is. She explicitly tells him that. And they're like, "Eh, that's fine. Yeah. (laughs) No one (laughs) seems concerned at all. (laughs) They're like, wait, whatever. Let's get drunk. What? (laughs) Our top fighter is wasted right now. <laughs> yeah. Prince Nuada arrives to the BPRD and Abe and Hellboy are drunk. <laughs> he takes the map and is weirdly all over his sister. Did you? That, that was, was kind of creepy, right? weird. And she looked uncomfortable, too. He was like touching her face and like he said something that I was like, ooh, that's a red flag, bro. <laughs> um, a drunk Hellboy fights him. But Abe urges him not to hurt the prince because it will in turn hurt the princess. 
Nuada stabs Hellboy with a spear blade that burrows in him and will move closer to his heart if it's tampered with. Abe secretly finds a crown piece hidden in a book. One thing I liked about this part is when just a drunk Hellboy walks in, he like he like challenges him to a duel, and then like the prince is like, "All right, what's your weapon of choice?" And Hellboy's just like, "My fist." <laughs> <laughs> I liked, so there was a scene during this uh, sequence where just Hellboy and Abe just get wasted together. Yep. Besides it being a lot of fun, they're like in their room and like Liz is sleeping there and they're just like, I love her, man. (laughs) Yep. I would die for her. You don't even know. And Abe's like, there's something you should know, bro. There's something you should know. And then Liz like wakes up. She's like, Abe. Oh my god! She like stops him, and he's like, "He's gotta know." Uh, the drunk acting wasn't bad, honestly. No, and um, it was fun, but it, it is like this kind of like sitcom. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like well, it's very like it was like exaggerated drunk, yeah. but it was like it's a gag. Yeah. Another part about like that sequence that I liked was um, when they were just blasting the Barry Manilow song, and everybody in the complex can mm. hear it, <laughs> including their girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> Also, being drunk off warm tecate sounds like the worst thing ever. It's like a Mexican beer that's like not really that good. Is that what they were drinking? Is yeah. that what Hellboy drinks? That's what Hellboy, that's his beer of choice. And it's because Guillermo del Toro is Mexican. Right. That's why it's in the movie. But it's not a very good beer, I, I think. And it's warm. It's probably not as good as this uh, pumpkin vanilla beer. Oh, it's not as good as the Hialeah I'm drinking. <laughs> No, but, like, I mean, he keeps his beers in, like, his locker. They're never in a refrigerator. No, does he just not like cold beer? Maybe because he's a demon. He likes them warm. I don't know. I'm just like, why are you drinking warm beer, dude? Well, I know, like, in some places in Europe, they drink their beer warm. And they think okay. cold beer is weird. So, by warm, it's still chilled. It's just not as cold. It's not refrigerator temp. So like they room call- temperature? No, colder than room temperature. Okay. But not as cold as a refrigerator. So That's what they, they consider like it? a warm ale. How they chill it? I don't know. <laughs> kind of like how you chill wine. I don't know. How do you chill wine? Too many questions. I put it in a fridge. I'm talking about like a red wine. Like you can chill it a little bit, but most for the most part, it should be room temp. Yeah. Krauss says they can't go after the prince and risk him unleashing the golden army, but then changes his mind after Liz insults his humanity. The four break protocol and fly to Northern Ireland. There, they find a goblin and trick him to trade passage to the Golden Army for the blade in Hellboy's chest, as long as he can find a way to remove it. He takes him to the Angel of Death, who offers Liz a decision. She'll save Hellboy, but tells her that Hellboy is destined to eventually bring about the destruction of the world. She chooses Hellboy, saying she'll deal with that apocalypse when it comes. She revives Hellboy by finally admitting that he's going to be a father. This part with the the angel was crazy. First off, it looked amazing. It's a crazy costume, yeah. yeah. Crazy design, like all the eyes on the wings and stuff. And, yeah, uh, it's something that should have been in Ghost Rider. The, <laughs> the, if the last movie was a slight better version of Ghost Rider, then this is just like way. This one blows it out of the water. Blow, yeah, seriously, <laughs> a sneaky Ghost Rider reference. Um, <laughs> it's a great design, and it's. It might be, like, the best one of the whole movie. Yeah. And, and again, there's at least, like, 15 different, like, creatures in this. But I was I was watching it. We're going to get to it. We're talking about Doug Jones. He was in the costume for that. And, like, the apparatus they built for the wings was, like, 
digging into his, his back and like it was like hurting him. He was like bleeding. Oh shit! So then they just hung it from like a wire. Okay. And just had it like hover behind him, so it looked like it was, it was still attached to him, but it wasn't. But yeah, it looked like. But it's just it's just great. It looked beautiful in like a weird way. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can kind of see how he pulls from his other movies, too, because it's similar to the Pale Man from Pan's Labyrinth, where it's this, like, monster who doesn't have eyes, but then his eyes are on the in the palms of his hands. And he just, like, opens the hands and the eyes are there. Yeah. And then this is a creature who, like, I mean, it looks different, but it, the eyes are in the wing. Yeah. It's and it like, has many eyes. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like a giant spider. Yeah. He's got a bunch of eyes, right? Like, it's just, there's something beautiful about it but also like disturbing looking as well at the same time yeah and it's like this it's one of the best costumes i've seen in any movie I oh think. wow yeah <laughs> it, they described it as like an androgynous kind of angel because like it appears to be female but like is it like it's kind of like yeah. a, it's another kind of creature from another realm or whatever and so that's how doug jones played like it beyond our comprehension right 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 and it's just like moving like pieces on a board. Like it, it knows the future and knows destiny. It's not a creature you should probably like speak too lightly, <laughs> you know? Well, like the goblin was. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> hey, like. Can you give me what's mine? <laughs> yeah. The goblin just wanted that fucking spear. That was fun that they like tricked it though. Yeah. But they probably shouldn't be like, hey, can you like you save, you know, this life and maybe like jeopardize like the rest of the world or whatever. Like, like, Are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> and you're like, yeah. Okay, <laughs> fucking do it. <laughs> there should have been more of these movies. They're just they set up so much this like universe like building. It was setting up a sequel, like this scene right yeah. here. There's just so much universe building in this yeah. one movie that I'm like, I want five of these now. No, as I was watching this, yeah. I'm like, damn, it's a shame that this didn't go on. Yeah, they arrived to the Golden Army, and it's revealed that Abe agreed to bring the crown piece for the princess. And tosses it to Prince Nuada, who assembles his crown and awakens the Golden Army. The army attacks. Hellboy starts shooting them, and Kraus takes over one of the robots to destroy others. They reassemble magically, however, proving that they are, in fact, indestructible. It was kind of cool that Kraus took over one of them. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and again, the whole bit with this character is you learn what he does as he does it. Yeah. But he was able to take, you know, it, it is foreshadowed by, like, he took over the lockers. Yeah. So, like, he he can do that. And this little action scene here had a lot of cool things going on. My one disappointment with it, though, is that it feels very CGI. Okay, yeah. But honestly, that's it. Otherwise, like, there was a solid little action scene that shows that, you know, this army really can't be fucked with. Because even when you kill them, they just reassemble themselves. Yeah, they spend a good amount of time just, like, tearing them apart. And then they just all reassemble again. And that's yeah. kind of the point. Right. Is that like there's a bunch of them. First of all, and I didn't mention this. The fairy tale says that there's 70 times 70 of them. So that's almost 5,000 is 4,900. But I couldn't find anything on 70 times 70. But it sounds like a reference to 70 times 7, which is what Jesus tells Peter how many times he needs to forgive. Oh, biblical reference here. Yeah. And at first I was like, is that what they're doing? I mean, it's hard. It seems hard that it would be a coincidence because they could have just been like, oh, there's 5,000 of yeah. them. Well, isn't seven a very important number in the Bible also? Yeah, seven comes up a lot. But the fact that they keep on, they kept on saying it 70 times 70 just makes me feel like that's the little bit of like, again, it, it, we talked about this last week with Guillermo del Toro that like he sneaks in that kind of Catholicism yeah. in all his films. 
even if he doesn't really believe it anymore, it's something that's like ingrained in him. And it's also like we said last time, like what better movie to slip that stuff in than Hellboy? Yeah, and Hellboy <laughs> is devoutly Catholic too. Yeah. So, so all those kinds of things. Again, there's a lot of references to all kinds of fairy tales. And here, the last movie had a lot of biblical references also, mixing with like Lovecraftian horror. And this one is, yeah, at least another kind of like, here's a biblical thing. But they're kind of steampunk transformers, right? Yeah. That's basically what they are. And to your CGI point, that's kind of how I saw them. Especially trans like Transformers from like the movies where they're just like overly engineered and they're like overly CGI and they have yeah. too many moving parts. Just like trying to make it look nice to it. Yeah. Just to like fill up the screen basically. Yeah. yeah. I get that. They're also not in the movie that much. <laughs> no, they're only, you know, it's called the Golden Army. The Golden Army actually isn't in the movie this much. Yeah. What's about the, them? The right? threat of them is. And, and it makes honestly, for a great title. Yeah. And you do see here that if they were to be unleashed, like, no, oh, there's no fucking stopping them. Right. I think we talked about this where I like a like a Chekhov's thing that's not necessarily like, you know what I mean? Like, we don't always have to see it. And yeah, like, obviously, we saw the Golden Army. They were awakened. But at the same time, it's like, you know, they didn't play a big part and they didn't really like well, unleash and, and hell they either. They don't have to. You know, they... Especially it, if the movie's about preventing that from happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hellboy challenges Nuada for control of the Golden Army. Being a demon, he has the authority to do so, apparently. I didn't really get that, but apparently you have to be like royal. I guess it's because he was who he was the son of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nuala says, like, he's the son of the fallen one. He, okay. He has the right. So it, oh. it was subtle, but I guess he's technically royalty. Yeah, but, like... Who's the fallen from one? From, like, a different, like, dimension, too. Like, how the elves know about this guy? Yeah, that's where I'll... How the elves know about Asgard? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hellboy <laughs> hides in the gears underneath them and is able to... Well, I also skipped that they fight for a bit. But Hellboy <laughs> hides under the gears underneath them, is able to best Nuada. Hellboy wins the crown, turns his back, and when Nuada goes to attack him, Princess Nuala stabs herself to kill them both. Prince Nuada pleads with Hellboy, is it them or us? Which holocaust should be chosen? Before being able to consider using the Golden Army for himself, Liz grabs the crown and melts it. The Golden Army shuts down permanently. Yeah, Hellboy's like, hmm, that's a lot of power. <laughs> I love that. Like, he didn't even get to even think about it. She's like, nope, grabs it and just, like, destroys it. Liz is um, the voice of reason. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, again, at the end here, uh, Nuada just pleads with him for, like, sympathy. Because he sees that Hellboy should be one of them. Well, he's yeah. an, he's well, a, even he's in a his dying breath, he's like, he, I kind of feel like he feels for hellboy a little bit too well that's what he's saying he's like you're one of us is it us or them like is it going to be the men or is it going to be like the humans or, or us or, or the the creatures yeah because he says there's going to be a holocaust which one is it going to be is it going to be uh, us or them so and, even to like his death he believed in his cause right and as a viewer at this point i started to sympathize with this cause I mean, he not he's, like the whole genocide part, but like the whole like, you know, we have to maybe because is he wrong? Like if mankind had discovered all these other creatures and there's all these are these elves and trolls or whatever, how would that end? Probably either eradication or control. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. not well, like he's probably right. Honestly, yeah. no, he's he's right. He was going about his mission in a terrible way. But yeah, his point still stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, definitely what they shut down with Malakas. And that's what makes him a pretty good villain, honestly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like this fight a whole lot. Their uh, their duel? Yeah. And I kind of breezed through it, but like, 
basically like the main showdown is Hellboy and Nuada, and they're fighting with like this like, it's like the a sword spear. Fight. Yeah, it's he, like a sword fight. Nuada literally throws Hellboy a sword so he can fight him properly. Yeah, which was surprisingly honorable of him. I guess it's part of like the rules of the challenge or whatever. Yeah. But he broke the rules when he tried to kill him afterwards. Though. Yeah, but I guess Hellboy broke the rules when he spared his life. So. Whatever. It, yeah, because he's basically like, I'm not gonna like stop. You have to kill me. Like that's, that's he told what him that. He's do. like, he's like, you need to kill me because I'm not gonna stop. Yeah, yeah. But I like fights like these where like, because usually in a, it, I'm seeing this more and more in like a third act duel basically between the main character and the antagonist or whatever. Is that they fight for a bit and then the hero discovers some thing to give him an advantage. There's some narrative device going on, whether it be like a power unlocking or like um. Yeah, a hidden weakness that was just discovered, or yeah, sure, I, I get what you're saying. And part of me is like, that's fine narratively, but I don't believe it in the context of like I'm watching two people fight. Because like, if you in real life, like two people are fighting, like one might get the edge on the other one, but it might come at a random time. It'd be more surprising. There's not going to be like a last minute, like oh, I discovered this about you. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, sometimes it's great. You know, I think back to like when we did Scott Pilgrim. You know, he fights the villain at the end, and then he realizes what he did wrong, goes back, does it again. He literally loses wins. the first time, so yeah. Yeah. Like, that's fun. And again, that's what I'm talking about. That's that kind of narrative device that gives mm-hmm. you some sort of, like, it teaches a lesson to the hero, moves the story forward. Sure, that's great. But at the same time, like, one of my favorite fights ever is from, like, Star Wars Episode One, which is like, sure, you can say all kinds of bad things about that movie, but the duel of the fates at the end is just incredible. Oh, yeah. You know, and it ends in a surprise because you're not supposed to have seen coming that like Qui-Gon was going to die. No, that was supposed to be a surprise. And even though like, OK, there's three characters here, one of which is in the original movies and the other two aren't. Right. Sure. Those two could die. But like you didn't know that Qui-Gon wasn't going to be in the next two movies. He's right. like the main character of episode and, one. And it was a surprise when he died because it was just something that happened randomly in the fight. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like they've been fighting for like 10 minutes. They're going at it. They seem neck and neck, and then Darth Maul just got the jump on him. Yep. And, and all then, it took boom, was, all it took was it a ha- second. It happens in half a second, and then sure that does do something narratively to Obi Wan, who now fights a little bit angrier or at least more energized. Oh yeah, he uh, sprints at him. Yeah. <laughs> but even that part, like he just happens to get the edge on Darth Maul at the end there. He waited for his moment. He was patient. Yeah. I think mean, that's what it is. It's patience. Well, he, he was about to lose. <laughs> yeah. But do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if that felt like such a more exciting fight because it almost seemed realistic in a way, even though it's obviously not. Mm-hmm. But, like, again, like, it's just, like, two guys fighting and then one just gets the edge on it on the other guy. It's not like, oh, wait, let me stop learning a lesson and then do a thing. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And so I'm back and forth because in this fight. They seem pretty neck and neck. Actually, Hellboy's kind of losing, if anything. And then yeah, Hellboy's not the best fighter. No, he's just kind of a brute. Yeah. And then he does sort of kind of like find a weakness, which is like, I can't out like maneuver this guy. I need to like kind of hide and then just like sneak up on him and grab him from the neck or whatever. Right. But at the same time, like for the most of the most of the fight did feel like real. In a way, yeah. like it seemed like the the odds and the stakes were where they needed to be. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah, hard no, for me like to kind of the duel felt like a proper duel for the most part. Yeah, and also again, it goes back to the choreography. This almost like these parts seem like a lightsaber duel from the prequels in terms of like choreography. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's really, really well done. The, like the pacing, too. or like a kung fu movie. 
Yeah. Like, it's really good. Anytime Nuada's, like, doing fucking flips and sword fighting. You know, like, in the last movie, there was that one guy who just kind of spun his swords for a minute, and that was kind of it. The dead Nazi guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot his name. It was, it was something dumb. Carl. It, Carl, that's it. But in this one, like... This is very good choreography. Again, I said this in the beginning. You could tell that this is part of where the budget went. Yeah. This whole duel was was really good, I think. Out of all the movies that we've watched for this podcast, this movie had one of the better third acts out of all of them. Especially with, like, that culminated in this duel between two people. Nah, Mask of Zorro. (laughs) I said one of. Okay, yeah. No, Mask of Zorro is still the best. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of these movies... That's what this podcast is. Like, we watch some movies that f- that have fallen apart, but a lot of these fall apart in the third act, including the last uh, Hellboy movie. Yeah. That one kind of just fell apart. That one was solid up until the third act. And then it was just kind of like, run through the motions. We got to do this. We got to do yeah. that. We got to get through the, the rest of this movie, right? Mm-hmm. So let's finish this up. The team exit the cave to meet Agent Manning and each tender their resignation, including Dr. Krauss, who tells him to suck his ectoplasmic dick in German. Uh, I think that's what he says. That's the implication. Hellboy and Liz plan on finding a place in the country for the baby. And Liz reveals that there are two. And then we get Hellboy's shocked face and then roll credits. It's, a, again, it's, it's very a, abrupt ending. It's kind of a fun, lighthearted romp of a film, right? It was, though. Uh, I love that they just finished fighting like magical twins. And they're about to have magical twins. What are they going to look like? We'll never know. We will never know. They never made that movie. Does he have children with Elizabeth in the comics? I have no idea. I kind of want to read the Hellboy comics. This movie, and the last one too, but like these movies have made me like a serious fan of the character. Oh, really? Yeah, he's he's cool. I don't know if I'm about to like pick up the comic. I mean, I'm... how about you pick up the comic and then you tell me if it's worth <laughs> reading? And then okay. I'll read it if you read it because I'm still reading Ninja Turtles. <laughs> You're still reading it? Yeah, you know, I, I got a lot of other stuff going on. I, just, I read an issue, and then like a week later, I read another one. Okay. But uh, that's Hellboy 2. Yep. All right, let's move on. All right. Uh, analysis. Again, I apologize for my voice. It's a combination of I lost my voice, and I'm having allergies. It's a whole thing. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so this is a comedy now. Like, this had a huge tonal shift. Yeah. We mentioned it while we were in the plot. Again, if you skipped here, we went through the plot, and as usual, we kind of like, you know, a lot of our analysis was just kind of in there. Uh, yeah, big tonal shift from from the last movie. Yeah, I think kind of for the better. Something about it just really works. That last movie really kind of took itself very seriously. Which I like when movies do that too, but I don't know. Like this one, like the tonal shift, it did a lot of favors for this movie. I said that it felt like a sitcom that, like, found its footing, you know, late in the first season or the second right. season or something like that, where you're like, you know, you go back to those and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, season one is kind of rough, but then it really gets good at season two or whatever. I think that's kind of what happened here, where the first one seems a lot like a better version of what Ghost Rider should have been, right? Yeah. Whereas this one is kind of like its own thing altogether. Like, this is seems more original than any other movie. I've seen yeah. this, this doesn't fit in with any other like, movie in tone and plot and like just how all out they went kind with the, the character yeah the, the creature design and, yeah you know like I, you can see how the hellboy one would just kind of fall in the mix of like yeah. oh it's superhero movies especially for at the time 2004 
Yeah. I mean, you know. it's still a very good one for 2004. Yeah, but... sure. But you can kind of see how, like, on the surface. And, yeah. And in, kind of in general, it's like, it's a little bit of Ghost Rider. It's a little bit of, like, Daredevil. It's yeah. a little bit of, like, whatever. Like, and Hellboy. The first Hellboy, I would say, would be, like, the pilot or, like, the pitch. And then this is, like, the end product. This is where it should have really taken off. Like, they should have... Yeah, there should have been... There should have been, like, four more of these, honestly. I wouldn't have minded if this became, like, a long-running series. In this style. Yes. Like, again, at first I was kind of, like, confused by the tonal shift. I'm like, this seems very lighthearted. There's a lot of jokes. It's very funny. It's a lot less angsty than the first one. Mm -hmm. But, and again, like, the first one did take its swing with, like, Lovecraftian horror. But this feels more enjoyable because it's more about like fairy tale creatures yeah you know you got elves and we don't, they didn't show like any orcs i mean maybe one maybe fucking mr wink was an orc i don't know i could see an orc looking like that yeah but it's again it's taken from like more things that people more people are aware of i think than just kind of like lovecraft right, right? and like i love like the lovecraftian stuff i, yeah. I do but there was just like this movie was more enjoyable to watch and it was there's tooth fairies in this you know what i mean like scary killer tooth fairies yeah that eat people yeah i mean like you know how far before they put in like a santa claus or something like right or, this should have like been a, a christmas movie or krampus yeah oh yeah hellboy versus krampus i swear you know and the thing is apparently hellboy 3 that was never made but he had plans for Mm. Fuck if that wasn't gonna be a Christmas movie, you know, Christmas with Cramp, heavy. with Krampus, like, Christmas heavy movie, Hellboy saves Christmas, Krampus, and like different kind of like Santa Claus variation. I don't know. There could have been something really cool. I, there. I do feel like they were gonna do something with the whole like he was meant to bring about like the end of the world though, which the first movie touched upon that. But Very like the lightly, angel in yeah. this movie was like, no, like this is gonna it's happen. It's still gonna happen. Yeah. yeah, you didn't stop it. The only reference they did to it was when someone put on the goggles that like reveal the true nature of something. And they looked at Hellboy, and he has the horns on the fiery crown. Yeah, but that was it. That was subtle too. Yeah, exactly. It's not beaten over your head like the last movie did. Mm-hmm. But so is he meant to be a villain? And I and I love to talk about why the third movie never happened, but. I didn't, it's not something I really planned, but hold on a second. Oh, man. I feel like that's important to, like... I know. What we do. Shut up. <laughs> do it right now. The only thing I do remember is one time they were talking to Guillermo del Toro about it, and he was like, you know, the studio is just not going to make it happen. There's just... It, the, like, it doesn't fit the numbers, basically, like, oh. to justify another sequel. Despite the fact that this was an Oscar-nominated film. First of all, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Was it for the makeup? Yeah. Yeah. I said it. But it, did it win? Because no, if it, it didn't, didn't, I want to know who the fuck won. It didn't win. Who won? I don't know. Look it up. <laughs> what year was this? 08? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he said a couple things. At one point he said, I think we all want to come back to do a third Hellboy. Uh, if they can wait for me to get out of Middle Earth, but we don't know. So what he means at the time is that he was supposed to be doing The Hobbit. This is back in 2010 uh, when they're doing pre-work for The Hobbit. And again, only a few years after this movie would have come out. A few years later, Ron Perlman showed up in full Hellboy makeup for a -A Make-A-Wish thing for for a terminally ill kid. That's cool. His his wish was to see Hellboy? I mean, I guess. (laughs) And he said, again, in costume, I can say publicly that we are together in trying to do hellboy 3 uh, so that's like a hey we want to do it <laughs> sure 
in a year after that, in 2013, in an interview with Del Toro, discussed the possibility of developing Hellboy 3. A legendary says, I hate giving pieces about it, but last night we were at dinner and Ron said, I would be very happy to do Hellboy again. When are we doing Hellboy 3? It seemed like Ron Perlman really wanted it to happen. Ron Perlman says, not just anybody can make this movie. I loved working for Legendary, and I know Guillermo uh, working on Pacific Rim was one of the greatest experiences. Blah, 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 <laughs> blah. Guillermo del Toro suggested telling the story of Hellboy 3 in comic book form. A lot of movies are doing that nowadays. I wouldn't be mad about that. But Mignota vetoed the idea. Oh. Jeez. Uh, in 2013, again, Ron Perlman spoke about Hellboy 3, saying, Hellboy 3 needs to be twice as big as 1 or 2. For me to do Hellboy 3, it could kill me in terms of physically demanding. Or for a guy my age. Yeah, he was like well into his 50s. Uh, but it's worth it because anyone who sits and listens to Guillermo's version of how this thing ends is completely seduced. Oh, and, so he already had something written? I don't know. I think he's just saying like, you know, Guillermo is like the guy for this. Like, Oh, like he's the no, one that no can do should. it. Yeah. yeah. In a 2014 Reddit AMA, Del Toro said, We don't have that movie on the horizon, but the idea for it was to have Hellboy finally come to terms with the fact... That his destiny, his in, in, inevitable destiny, is to become the beast of the apocalypse. Do, do, do. He has to become the beast of the apocalypse. He talks for a while. I think that the first movie made its budget back, a little bit of profit, and then it was very big on video and DVD. Uh, the story repeated itself with the second already. It made its money back at the box office, but had a small margin of profit in release of the theatrical print, but was very, very big on DVD. Uh, sadly, now, from a business point of view, all of the studios know that you don't have that safety net of DVD and video, so they view the project as dangerous. See, that's what I'm saying. That's what it kind of comes down to. And I think we've talked about this before where, like... They just didn't think they'd make money on a sequel, yeah, so they just like didn't do it. Nowadays, like, because of DVD sales being smaller than they were because we live in a streaming age... Right. And you don't have to... I think with streaming, it's like you don't have to promise so much on one thing. You just have to kind of, like, keep the content coming. Yeah. You know what I mean? They are not going to take the same kind of risks that they would before. Uh, and then in February 2017, so this is when they were like developing the next movie, probably. Del Toro announced on Twitter, must report that 100% Hellboy 3 will not happen. This is the part that I remember. And then the reboot got announced. By that point, and that's probably why he said it, is because he probably already had the insider information that Hellboy, th- yeah. that the Hellboy reboot was happening. Yeah. But, you know, what doesn't make sense for me is, like, you put money into a reboot. So a movie was made. You could have just put all that same effort into making Hellboy 3. Yeah. You know? And it probably would have uh, made you more money. And we know now, like, a far-removed sequel can still make money. People remember movies. They can go back and watch them. Or they'll go back and watch it if this new sequel is getting, like, enough buzz. Or if it's watchable on its own, like this movie. Like Hellboy 2, you could absolutely go and watch it. It works as a standalone movie. It completely works standalone. You don't have to watch the first Hellboy to watch it. It definitely helps. Sure. But if you go in and watch this and you really like it, you might go back and watch Hellboy 1. Mm -hmm. And they're banking off all these DVD sales to do that, too, or at least a rental, like, so you can, you know, watch the first one again. I think if you had gone back, even in 2019, a full, like, what, like, 11 years after this film came out and made a Hellboy 3, first of all, like, yeah, make it so that you don't absolutely need to see Hellboy 2. Right. Like, I mean, it should still be a sequel. But, like, you know, you could, like, a a person could be like, yeah, he's a demon, whatever, come on, and watch this and you could still enjoy it. 
I think that could have done way better than the reboot did. Oh, yeah, because apparently the reboot just wasn't well-received by, like, anyone. And I'm sure, like, eventually we'll watch it and we'll talk about it. Because I think David Harbour came out and said, like, yeah, there's probably not a sequel coming out. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but, like, is it that, like, they couldn't afford Guillermo del Toro and going through all the creature designs and work instead of, like, just, you know, just having it all being CGI and... Did they do that lo- lo- in the reboot? Was everything CGI? I know the sequel was also rated, or the, the reboot was also R-rated. Oh, was it really? Yeah. That's very interesting. Also, uh, Hellboy 2 The Golden Army lost the best makeup Oscar to The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. That's a good movie, though. Best makeup? Why? Because they made <laughs> him look old? Yeah. And then young. <laughs> uh, in that order. All those creature designs and fucking, like, what? This one had a much higher budget by about, like, 30 million. So, like, the first one was about, like, 60 million, and this one was, like, about 90 million. That explains why this one was also a lot bigger, like, in scope, too. Sure, but, like, you could have also, like, even with inflation, you know, gone, like, 100 million. That's, like, medium-sized budget nowadays. Like, 150 is yeah. big budget. You know what I mean? Yeah. 150 to, like, 250, that's, like, big budget. But, like, you could have gone medium budget, obviously, like... You know, get the same people, and I don't know. It I feel like it seemed like they, most they, of them wanted to come back. They definitely miss a trick here because, like, this movie's good. It's good, and, and this could have done really well with a third movie. I think. Yeah. Here's something I really didn't like. I hated the score. I don't remember <laughs> the score in this it, one. Yeah, it was nonstop. It was a Danny Elfman score, and you could tell. I, and normally, I like Danny Elfman. I, I didn't really Danny notice the score that much, though, in this one. It was and... so in the way. I wanted it to go away for most of it. <laughs> and, like, I like music. And Wait, you don't like the original Batman theme? No, it's okay. Danny Elfman has gone through, like... Phases. Yeah. <laughs> and anything he did in the 80s, most of that is really good. What about 90s? He does, like, good themes. You know, it's like kind of like the Simpsons theme. That's Danny Elfman. Yeah. But it's throughout the movie is just too much like just like very bouncy and it's fucking in the way and it never stops. The music never took a break in this movie. And I thought that was just way too much. Okay. There were times where I was like it was just it was also too loud. I'm like I can't I can barely hear what they're saying because this stupid fucking music won't stop. Well, you're going to be disappointed to learn that Danny Elfman is going to be associated with the Doctor Strange and I, I already Madness. I already knew that. <laughs> yeah, I already knew that, and I was already disappointed because the first Doctor Strange score amazing. is amazing, yep. and that's and it was uh, uh My... Giacono, Gio- Giacchino. Yeah, who also did the Spider Man. Yeah, and Giacchino and the is... Spider Man score is amazing too. Also, also Giacchino is like a big up and coming composer. Yeah, why? Like, and it's because of fucking uh, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi is friends with him, and yep. and that's no, what he wants. Anything for his movie associated and... with Sam Raimi or Tim Burton, Danny Elfman's gonna be there. God damn it! But you think you know what Danny <laughs> Elfman's gonna do when he gets there? He's gonna be like, "Hey, here's his great score from the first one. Use what you want for it." And he's gonna be like, "Don't want to even listen to it." Yeah, we're gonna. I want none of it. Yeah, the whole thing's gonna be like. It's just like so bouncy. And it's way too... And it, it works it, for certain movies. So for this movie... It, it works for Beetlejuice. It could have... Sure. 100%. And it, and it could have worked for this movie if it had toned it back a little bit because this movie is more lighthearted. But yeah. you're kind of reminded of it being lighthearted because of the score. It's just way too happy and bouncy and just kind of like... Oh, and by the end, 
you know, at the end, they're fighting and they're on like gears. Mm-hmm. And it's very kind of steampunk. And what did the music do? It just did a lot of like hammer hitting like iron, you know, like like an ACDC like chunk, <laughs> gunk, got like on the beat. It was just I, I almost was it said just, it was, was it too much? It was just way too much. <laughs> Danny Elfman is way too much. Like he needs. To, he's extra. He's extra. Yeah. The, as the kids. Did would you say. know he was the singer and songwriter of the band Oingo Boingo? That's that's all nonsense to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah, the score it didn't leave any impression on me either way, which is I would say also like not a good thing. No, but I wanted to shut the fuck up for a while. Okay, so it had too much of an impression on yeah. you and had no impression on me. So the score, eh, not that great for this movie. The only time I can tell you for certain there wasn't music playing was when they were playing CDs. <laughs> because obviously. And that's it. The rest of them, it just, it was relentless. So did you like the Barry Manilow song better than the Honest, Danny It Elfman was a score? nice break, honestly. Honestly, that's not a bad song. It was a nice break. What was the song called? Um, Can't Smile Without You or something like that? No idea. <laughs> I posted on my Instagram story. Oh, you did? I used that song. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. People probably don't get it, but that, that's why they should watch it. I English. barely got it. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of creatures. Perfect for Guillermo del Toro. Again, like the last movie was just Hellboy, Ape Sapien. And remember, Ape Sapien was barely in that movie. Yeah. Ape Sapien also looked a little different in this movie. I don't know if he was just like was brighter exactly. in color. Maybe. Something just looked different not bad just different it probably like a better costume probably works better the gills were like moving all the time remember in that last movie they put him in for like one scene and they hit his gills he was in two more scenes and that was it they wrote him out yeah i guess it was too much work yeah Yeah. but uh when we talked about this during the plot there's the incredible creature design there's at least 15 creatures in this movie just completely independent designs i don't know if he's the one that draws up these creatures or he has like a team of people that he collaborates with, but he has a way of inventing creatures that have never been seen before. Yeah. Which is crazy. When you think about like it, even creatures that like, like the creatures in this movie that we have like seen in other media, they look completely unique. Yeah. Like the troll that they showed in the movie looks grotesque, but like the lady, yeah. the old lady, but also like, not like anything I've seen in any other movie, you know? Absolutely. Especially, like, some of those, like, marquee creatures. Like, Ape Sapien, the Angel of Death. Best looking one out of all of them. For Chamberlain, sure. which is, like, it was that guy with the big face before you got to the Elf King. Yep. Oh, that, oh yeah, the guy that... Yeah, like, beady little eyes. to kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah that <laughs> yeah. guy. Yeah, like, beady little eyes and a big face. Was he supposed to be an elf, too? I doubt it. He didn't look like an elf. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> There's also, like, the the baby tumor. That was great. It was so gross. And it was clearly, like, a puppet, too. Like, it looked really good. Yeah. I'm not a baby. I'm a tumor. We talked about a lot of the themes, but it seems to be, like, the themes of this movie are just being an outsider, looking different, public appearances, being accepted in society. Uh, We talked about how, like, this movie seems to kind of play with the idea of, like, gay relationships, being gay in society, like... Being an outcast, being accepted, finding people that are like you. Yep. Finding love in a smaller pool yeah. of people. This that I wrote down that like Abe and Nuala are outsiders and that's why they find each other because when they touch hands, they realize that they're like the same. Yeah. You know, while 
Hellboy really is kind of having problems with Liz because she's only like half inhuman. Like we said, like she, you know, she's a human, but she has these superpowers. So yeah. she kind of like fits in with both worlds. She doesn't have the same identity crisis as Hellboy does. Right. And then the action. Way better. You actually see the action. <laughs> yeah. And I like seeing this kind of like the sword fighting against Hellboy's like arm. Where like there's fight scenes where Nuada has like a spear and he's left without anything. So he has to use like his rock. His like, yeah. Hand, his right. Stone fist. Yeah, right. That was really good. Again, like it's almost kung fu good. Some of these action scenes. Yeah, choreography is fantastic. The stunt work is top notch. And like they didn't have to go this hard with this movie. <laughs> they really didn't. Yeah. This is all around really good. Like I said, I think my my biggest two complaints here, I mean besides, I mean the movie's good, but my biggest two complaints are like Nuala actress. She was kind of weak, I thought. I didn't think she was very good. But like you put her up against everybody else and you're like, "All right, it's fine." You yeah. know what I mean? And then the score hated it. <laughs> I just I can't say that enough. I hated the score. It bothered me. <laughs> you know, a score should just kind of like enhance everything, not just not fucking take over and just kind of like bring you down. Too bombastic. Yeah, like too, it, yeah. I mean, bombastic is not. I don't think that's the right term. And then you know what? The other thing, because we already talked about this, but there are movies and composers that put music in basically every shot. But there's an art to that, you know, like John Williams does that, where he right. puts music in every single scene. Like it, it, the music doesn't stop in a John Williams score. But at the same time, he knows how to like make the music kind of disappear, not disappear, but like blend, you know, blend in, play second to the action or play second to like right. whatever's it's happening. Like, it's complementing it, even like enhancing it, but it's but not it, taking over. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that's you're what not Dan- putting too much salt yeah. on the dish. Oh, absolutely. And I yeah. feel like that's what Danny Elfman like, cannot do. Uh, he oversalts his at dishes. all. Like he has to be the star, and and fuck that. Like, <laughs> uh. well, I mean, I didn't even notice it was Danny Elfman's music, so I don't. I could tell right away. <laughs> I'm like, this is ten minutes in. I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> but I, that's the weird part. It's like you're remembering so much about like hating it. I can't remember it at all. Like it was not memorable to me. In the slightest. I mean, it's not memorable. Like you can, like you can hum a theme from it, but it's memorable in the fact that, like, it wouldn't stop playing. <laughs> That's so and weird it that was I can't so even loud. think of the music. It was so loud. All right, so we both have issues with the score, but I think they're very different issues. So, like, you remember the scene where uh, when Abe is putting in those contact lenses? Yeah. And he looks down because he's on the second level. He looks down in the library and he sees Noella walking around, mm-hmm. and she starts reading a poem. Yeah. I could barely hear the poem because the music was too loud. Oh, okay. Like, there were points where it was that loud. Okay. It was just uh, too much Danny Elfman. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about on this movie before we move on? Uh, I've said everything I like, and my only complaints are, to me, the score was not memorable. To you, it was memorable for the wrong reasons, but to me, it just wasn't memorable in the slightest. Like, I don't even remember there being one, which right. is weird. And I guess, like, that one Golden Army CGI fight that just seemed a little, like, eh. Like, how you put it, like, transformers Yeah. And but it, that's it. Again, and that, that scene only lasted a little bit. And then, yeah, it was, like, like, the, like, two minutes. And then the real fight started, which was yeah. way better. Yeah. So, so, I mean, my complaints are, like, very minor for this movie. I, I would have maybe liked a different actor than Seth MacFarlane. And I, and I like Seth MacFarlane <laughs> a lot. 
I really do. But it just it felt like this kind of like caricature of a character, you know? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it, it didn't bug me that much. I don't know. Maybe I'll ask a real German. <laughs> How do you feel about this? <laughs> All right, let's move on to Keeper Cancel. Guys, this is a segment, Keeper Cancel, where we pick a person or a couple people involved with making this movie, and we decide, are we going to keep them or are we going to cancel them? Right? It's a play on a cancel culture, so fucking take that. Um, <laughs> we're doing Doug Jones. Have you ever heard of Doug Jones, by the way? like well, It's not a household like name. Like outside of him playing Abe Sapien? Yeah. No. So, <laughs> exactly. Doug Jones might be the most famous actor who is unrecognizable because most of his work is, like, in costumes. Okay. Like, he plays, like, these characters, what people would call a costume performer or, like, oh. a or like a creature performer. So, what's interesting is that he kind of takes offense to that. Like, he considers himself an actor, not oh. a, quote-unquote, performer. Which, he's acting, especially in this movie. Yes, and I'm going to get to that, but, like, it's almost kind of diminutive yeah. what he feels. It's like, you know, he's just a guy a guy who can wear costumes. No, he's an actor. He's an actor. He's also good at wearing costumes. Right. So he went to, like, legitimate acting school where he joined a miming group um, and he learned to mime. That explains a lot. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's where his background comes from because he got really good at that. Uh, he's also a contortionist. Also explains a lot. Yeah. So he's very tall. He's very skinny. And he's very flexible. Very flexible. He can put himself in like a box. And that's part of like his miming routine. But that kind of gets him into like his parts. He says, he, he you know, his, his intentions were always to be like a full-fledged actor. But he started signing up for commercials because like he just wanted to be in anything. Get your name out there. Get your face out there or whatever. Right. Because of he had done some miming things and some things already in costumes, he lands the Mac Tonight campaign. The old McDonald's campaign. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'll link this below because when you see it, you'll recognize it from like memes if you're, at this If point. you're old enough. No, from like memes at this oh. point because I didn't see any of these commercials at the time. But like when McDonald's would switch to like doing 24 hours, like overnight sales or whatever, they had these commercials with, I don't know if they named the character. I should know. I'm sure he has a name. I work for McDonald's. Also, you should know know this. this. Yeah, I should know this. But it was called, like, the Mac Tonight campaign. And he had, like, it was this guy playing piano, like, at night. And he was a big moon character. Yeah. So his whole fucking face was, like, like a crescent moon. Didn't he also have, like, sunglasses or something? Maybe. Really creepy looking, by the way. Yeah. But they made 27 commercials. Like, it was a whole thing. And that's him. I think the character's name is Mac Tonight. Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) And he played the song Mac the Knife. Uh, His first big role, or his first, like, big budget movie after doing a bunch of different commercials and some TV shows, mostly as, like, mimes or clowns, uh, was he was in Batman Returns. And we had... We watched that. We watched that movie. That's, like, episode nine or something like that (laughs) in this podcast. And we had no fucking idea. That's him. He plays the skinny clown. So they, <laughs> the they, skinny clown. Yeah, I think that's that might be like his name in the movie because he's paired with like a fat clown. So they're always like in the same shot together because okay. that's kind of their bit or whatever. At one point, he gets like punched by Batman in the beginning of the movie when he's beating up all the clowns. Okay. And then at the end, he has one line that he speaks to Penguin. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when I saw because I saw a video, I'm going to link below about like his career. When I saw that one scene, I like didn't remember that at all. But he just—he's—it's like this character that kind of just kind of disappears in the background, you yeah. know. 
He was in Hocus Pocus. He was like the main bad, not the main bad guy, but you know, like the, the like the zombie yeah. that. Oh, I can't remember his name, but I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. The zombie that ends up like joining. He was like chasing them, and then he joins them. That yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, that guy. He gets his head knocked off a few times. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> He's the one with the moths that come out of his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. That was those were real moths, by the way. What? Yeah. They didn't have CGI back then. That's like a real thing. They like put moths in his mouth. Gross. Yeah. Super. <laughs> But he got kind of this reputation for being this guy who, like, you can put him in costume, you do whatever you want to him, he won't complain, he knows that's his job, and so they fucking, like, will do whatever. <laughs> uh, he did the movie Mimic. So, this is the movie by Guillermo del Toro. It's, like, his third film or something. We talked about this movie last week when we did Guillermo del Toro for Keeper Cancel. This is the one that made James Cameron want to punch Harvey Weinstein. Was mimic. Oh. So he plays like this creature who's like a uh, like insect, like this giant like moth. I think like a big yeah, like a moth or like a <laughs> flying insect. Uh, but when his wings are kind of closed, he he looks like a man, like in a trench coat. Oh. Uh, so he kind of blends in. That's him. That's where he meets Guillermo del Toro, and Guillermo's like fascinated with him, and he's like obviously Guillermo's a guy who like as we've seen from his career retrospectively wants to do all kinds of creatures and yeah, he's that's just like his thing yeah and <laughs> he's just met like the ultimate like contortionist mimic like yeah, like the best person to play creatures. Mime, i met yeah. yeah a guy who's like physicality is just like his physical acting is just you know knows no bounds he immediately like is infatuated with this guy and they talk they get to know each other and he's basically like i'm gonna get you in all my fucking movies man and he is in like Pretty much all his movies, right? All like most of them, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There's a bunch of stuff that I'm not mentioning, by the way. <laughs> but then Hellboy, obviously, as Ape okay. Sapien in the last movie. Someone in this video who builds kind of like these creature costumes or whatever was like, one of the reasons he's perfect is because not only is he a contortionist, but he's very tall and very skinny. So not thin, he is skinny. So like by putting things on him, like. When he, you can put a muscle suit on him and he looks like a muscular man, but you couldn't do that with someone who was normally proportionate because then they'd look too big. They'd look goosed up. Yeah. <laughs> they would goose him up a bit. That's what they call a goose suit. It's an uh, old circus term. So, you know, you could kind of do – basically, he's a blank canvas. Like, you can put as much shit as you want on him. Yeah. I got too much shit on me. <laughs> I, I can't fucking breathe. <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth. He plays Alfano. Alfano is the fawn, the fawn as in Pan. Mr. Tumnus. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about this last week because there's obviously a lot of crossover here because he's in all of fucking Guillermo's movies. But it's the Pan is not it's not Pan from Greek mythology. It's just fawn. But they named it that in the English dub because it sounds better. It does sound better. <laughs> yeah. In Spanish, it's the fawn's labyrinth. He had to learn the lines in Spanish phonetically because he doesn't speak Spanish. This is a Spanish language film. It didn't sound good enough, so he got dubbed over, right? I forgot to mention, he was dubbed over in Hellboy, the first one, by David Hyde Pierce. We talked about that last week. Yeah. And he admits that, like, he gets it. It's a studio decision. They need a name. You know, the, the name Doug Jones isn't good enough. It's not about the performance. He didn't take it personally. Right. But at the end of the day, like, he, he's like, like, it kind of sucks to, like, see yourself on the screen. It's only half of your performance, and you've got another person on top of you. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he, he understood why that was necessary to sell the movie. It's a business thing, mm -hmm. right? For Payne's Labyrinth, he was like, yeah, I don't speak Spanish. 
he learned the lines so his mouth would move appropriately. But then they dubbed that over with a Spanish actor, which, which makes perfect that sense. That makes sense, yeah. Otherwise, it would sound fucking weird, you know? That makeup in Pan's Labyrinth when he when he's the fawn is probably some of the best makeup creature designs. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have I, you seen this? Have you seen I've shots seen, of it? Yeah. I've you seen like, what it looks like. It's insane how good it is. Uh, and there's barely any CGI. Basically, like, they have, because he, he's, like, hooved. Mm-hmm. You know, and the hooves, like, the joints go backwards. You know, like a flamingo or whatever. Yeah. Or, or, or like a goat. <laughs> That's a more appropriate sure. <laughs> comparison. Um, so, like, all of that's there. They just have, He just has green screen on his legs. But it is mostly, it's like 99% practical. Damn. And that's why it looks so good even, like, today. This I wonder how long he was sitting in the makeup chair for that one. He said, like, four or five hours. <sighs> he also said it was, like, one of, out of all the things he had wore, it was, like, his most comfortable one. Like, they... That was the most comfortable? Yeah. Like, they actually, like... Put that into consideration. Like someone has to sit and wear this, right? In this movie, by the way, he's not just like a fawn. He's also like part of the forest. So he's like part bark and wood and grass, but then also part creature. Okay. It's a very good Does design. he have a lot of like screen time too? Yeah. He has, okay. Yeah. He's in the movie quite a bit. But I mean, I'm saying like they glued on greenery on him too. Like it's an, an exhaustive process. Uh, he also played the pale man. In that one, that's what we were talking the about. The eyes, the guy with the eyes on the in the palms of his hand. Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer, a movie we are going to watch uh, probably sooner rather than later. He's the Silver Surfer. He's the Silver Surfer. Oh, and if you look at his figure, like again, he's this very tall, lanky, skinny man. You look at the Silver Surfer. The Silver Surfer is like basically the ideal human man. Like, yeah, like he's perfect. perfect. Yeah, that's kind of his point, and even his jaw. It looks nothing like Doug Jones. You know, they put prosthetics all over him. They put basically a muscle suit. They goosed him up. They goosed him up to make him look like the perfect man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to the point of like that makeup guy, he's the perfect form to put a muscle suit on because he looks real. Yeah. Because he's so skinny. Yeah, because that's one of the things about the movie that actually looks really good is the Silver Surfer. The Silver Surfer might be the highlight of that film. I saw that one not that long ago. And I think that movie's kind of bad, but the Silver Surfer is the best part of that movie. I remember the by movie far. being like super campy and kind of like hokey, so hokey, yeah, yeah. So in that movie, he's dubbed over by Lawrence Fishburne, and he's very unhappy about it. That's a weird choice. Did they do that for name recognition? Yeah, oh, and that's to his point. He's like, this is a big budget movie. They need the name more than anything else. So like, because he considers himself good enough an actor to be more than just the guy in the body, well, especially suit. in a movie like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a big movie, and and Lawrence Fishburne is is obviously great. At the same time, right. it's like maybe give him a shot, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hellboy two. So this movie, he is Ape Sapien, he is the Angel of Death, and he is Chamberlain. Did so he get to voice three characters? All three of those characters as well. I don't know about the Angel of Death. Okay, that seemed like a way different voice. Yeah. But he actually voices Ape Sapien this time. Okay, he gets to actually act. I could tell right from the beginning of the movie, I was like, he sounds different than the last movie. Mm. So apparently Guillermo del Toro told him, if you come back to do Abe again, if we do another Hellboy movie, you're going to do the voice. That's a promise. I'm sure he was happy with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that goes to like that. I mean, that's more evidence to what we were saying that like Guillermo has way more creative control over this film than he had the last one. Yeah. A lot less studio interference of like, hey, like, you know, we need this big name and we need this and we need that. 
this movie really seems more of a creative passion project than like whereas any the, the first one like they contracted him to make it sure and then you know you know obviously like it was successful so they're like all right green, green light the sequel yeah you know what you can do what you want with this one absolutely that's yeah. absolutely what i got from this uh and this is just kind of one piece of evidence is that you know he can let doug jones be abe compare this to the last movie just as good like yeah. Abe Sapien's just as good in if, this movie. It's not better. It's not better. Yeah. Because I mean, David Hyde Pierce was great, but like obviously Doug Jones can act. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> he was you fantastic. Didn't need to do it. <laughs> and then last, I've got Crimson Peak and Shape of Water. So in Crimson Peak, he plays two ghosts, I think. Okay. You haven't seen that movie, right? No, I we need to. We talked about this last week too. I need to. That's very good. And very interesting way of doing ghosts is what I said. Basically, they're all red. They're not like white or clear. They're, they're crimson. They're crimson. Yeah. They're like half translucent. There's a lot of CGI in addition to like practical costumes. Okay. But it is, it is a way of ghosts that has, I've never seen before. So it's kind of like, again, like we've talked about this. Like how do you do aliens without copying anything from before yeah you know like how do you do ghosts that we've never seen before anytime guillermo del toro does a creature it's an original take on that creature you know what i mean oh oh i we didn't even mention in this movie with the fucking with the the elves like when they die they turn to clay oh yeah that was pretty cool they look like marble when they died but the way it breaks apart it does it seems kind of like clay like almost almost look like soap like like a solid bar, of yeah, soap. a little yeah, bit, like, right? What what exactly do they turn into when they die? I don't know because cool. it happened to his father, it happened to the prince, and yeah. it happened to the princess. Yeah, 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 it was cool. Yeah, it was just a nice little touch. I also like that the king's crown is part of like his body. It was almost like he was like half tree. Yeah, he, like, again, really original of kind of designs, and then shape of water didn't win best picture, but it won best director. I think that was a good movie. Excellent movie. That one I did see. He plays the fish monster guy. Very similar in design to Abe Sapien, only kind of more extreme. More alien looking than Abe. <sighs> more sure. fish looking. More yeah. fish look, Yeah. He's supposed to look ancient and... Like a little bit unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. Great movie. Great design. I think out of any of these creatures that uh, Doug Jones has played, he just looks... I mean, he looks a lot like Abe Sapien. You can kind of see it. He looks like Abe. I'm sure, like, that's, like, his build is Abe Sapien, right? Yeah. So, the video where I, I watched this, I don't know, like I said, I'm linking it below. You should watch it. Doug Jones really kind of speaks about this a lot of, like, how a lot of people even come up with the term performer as to not call them an actor. <laughs> almost, like, as an insult. But, like, they're acting. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they literally are. And Guillermo himself has gone to say, like, especially for when he was doing Shape of Water, like... For this creature to work, I can't have just a performer in a suit. I need an actor because it's not just about speaking lines a certain way. You know, that fish monster has no lines in that movie. No. His but entire acting is... In his in body, his, his movements. Yeah, it's yeah. body language. If you haven't seen The Shape of Water, by the way, that's the whole fucking point of that movie because the main character is mute. Yeah. That's why they love each other, right? <laughs> because neither one of them can talk. They can't communicate other than with body language. So having an actor like Doug Jones in that suit makes all the difference in how they portray that character. So anyway, 
super interesting. They kind of talked about a couple other actors who are in a lot of movies with him that do different things. So like the guy who did in, in this movie, Hellboy 2, uh, Mr. Wink, who's a very, he's like a really built dude. And Mr. Wink had like 150 pounds of costume oh, on top shit. of him that he had to wear. Because, I mean, there's like servos and there's like yeah. mechanics to moving his mouth and why he wasn't in the movie too much also. Oh, right. <laughs> but like his physicality is more kind of like brooding and fighting and animalistic. Like whereas Doug Jones is very elegant in how he moves and acts and stuff. Yeah. So it's very eye-opening, very interesting. I guess keep, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he seems, I mean, he doesn't have any, like, dirty, like, no, cash no, or anything, no. right? No, that's not always what it's about. No. I mean, obviously, if he doesn't, we'd, we'd yeah, be canceling keep him. him. He seems like, one, wait. he's fucking talented as fuck. That's the thing, like, and it really opens your eyes to, like, what is acting? It's not just standing on an X and saying your lines, like. No, it's a lot more it's, than that. It's a lot. People, I think, undercut the value of physicality and body language because you can act way more. You can at least portray so much more in your body language than you can with, like, the lines. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's not to, like, throw any shade at voice actors who can do amazing things with just their voice. No, and, and that's almost <laughs> the same exact thing, but inverse. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, how do you... Like, how do you portray, like, a full performance without the visuals? Like, with just your Only voice. Your and voice. Yeah, that's, like, it's still acting, but it's a, just another type of acting. Yeah. I hadn't yeah. thought about that, but that's the exact inverse. Yeah. Wow. Because, yeah, like, you have actors that can't voice act for shit. No, and you know what? I thought about that a lot during uh, this What If season that we just got. Some of, like, the actors that came back uh, just aren't great. Good. Yeah. There's some weird performances in the cover batch is good. Ben Act was really but good. But also, like, he, you know, he's done voice acting before. Oh, yeah. Remember when he was the fucking dragon? In The in the <laughs> Hobbit? And he was, like, crawling on the ground. Like, he was yeah, really into he was, it. he was getting into it. Yeah. You know who really surprised me in that show was Jeremy Renner, who I didn't think would be a good voice actor, like, on surface level. And then I'm like, when I saw his episode, I'm like, he might be the standout. He was he's, one of the better ones. He was one of the better actors in yeah. that, like. You gotta have to understand, like, these guys are, they're not acting off of other people. They're just in a studio literally by themselves. They're in a booth and someone's just telling them, hey, say this like that. Yeah. And that might be a big complaint I had with What If is, I mean, in a lot of animated things where they don't put the actors in the booth together. You can tell. You can tell when two characters are talking and they're clearly not talking to each other. You can tell when video games do that, too. Oh, my God. Some of that, like, when Natasha and Clint are in that scene together, Mm. you can tell that they've never even met. Like, they're not in the same room at the same time. Yeah, they're, they're actually just reading lines. They read a line. And they don't know how the other person's going to say it, so exa- they have to right. guess. They yeah. they read a line five different ways, and it's up to the editor to pick mm-hmm. the ones that best mesh yeah. together. And it's not the fault of the actor in any way at all. It's just, no, just the way have, it was done. And they don't have the budget to, like, Fly schedule them in. to get them at the same place at the same time. Right. A lot of them film the lines in different studios. Yeah. And because of the fact that a lot of the people doing the voice acting are actual, like, movie actors as well, they're probably busy on other projects. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're working that in according to their schedule. And, again, some of them may have never done that before. They're not on a set with other actors, right, to work with. So they're just like, this is weird. Yeah. You know what I feel is a good example of the the opposite of that is The Road to El Dorado, Mm -hmm. where it's Kevin Kline and... Kenneth uh, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. It's them two. First of all, they have amazing chemistry. Yes, they do. The movie's fucking hilarious and they act the shit out of it. 
But that happened because they were in the same booth together the entire time. And that's why those two characters play off of each other so yeah. well. Yeah. And they probably improved a lot too. Probably. Like, but you you feel the energy from them mm-hmm. from being together. Like that's a thing that our brains can tell, you know. Yeah. Uh, we're not talking about voice acting though. We're talking about physical acting. It's the we, opposite. We, we got a bit it's a off tangent. Track there. But yeah, so I mean Doug Jones, watch this thing because uh, what an incredible physical actor. Uh, although he can act also just regularly. He can speak the lines too. Yeah. And it's nice when they let him I do think he that. needs more roles. He does. Yeah. I mean, he has plenty of roles. Don't get me wrong. Maybe give him some like roles where he can, you know, act. I love to let see him, him just a regular. He was in, I forget which one it was, where he they actually used his face. He was like, oh, yeah, I got to just be myself. But he then he, he turns into like a, a monster. <laughs> like he like does like a spider crawl. <laughs> If Paul Bettany didn't play Vision, I think Doug Jones would have been a good Vision. Yeah, maybe. Paul Bettany's great, though. Paul Bettany ended up being fantastic. Yeah. And also, apparently Paul Bettany didn't even know he was going to be Vision. No, they... He they, thought he was being fired. Yeah, they, they had no plan. <laughs> yeah, because he was like, just, well, Jarvis is gone. Am I done? <laughs> yeah. Also, they got very lucky that, like, Paul Bettany is, first of all, also a regular actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like on not his just own. a voice actor. Not just a voice actor. And also, he's in good shape. And he can play a superhero, even though yep. he they goose him up a little bit. Yeah. But, like, but for the most part, like again, he's thin enough to fit in the, in the goose suit. He's right? very charismatic too. Yeah. In Solo, he's really good. Oh, he's fantastic yeah. in Solo. One of the pieces that saved that movie because he was only in reshoots. Really? Yeah, he wasn't in the original movie oh, at all. Fuck. They only brought him in for the reshoots. <laughs> also, uh, Night's Tale makes me want to go back and watch Night's Tale. He's fantastic in that. Ooh, so is Alan Tudyk. Oh, yeah, Alan Tudyk. That's a good movie. Cool. So, Keep, obviously. Yeah, Keep. That's where I'm, Doug Jones is fucking awesome. I'm kind of excited to when we get to fucking cancel somebody. Like, we're not canceling enough assholes here. Uh, we'll get there when we start getting to, like... We're getting X-Men soon, so... Oh, yeah. Brian Singer. There's, there's a few uh, <laughs> assholes associated with yeah, that. We got a couple there. Or directed. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh, I forgot about uh, Brett Ratner. Yes. Or oh, Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner. Brett, Brett Ratner. Yeah, he fucking sucks. Oh, <laughs> I completely forgot about him. Oh, yeah, we get to cancel him. Spoiler alert, he's canceled. Yeah, spoiler alert, he fucking sucks. Too. I think he might be regularly canceled. I don't think uh, he's making really? more movies. He's also a bad director. But Brian Singer is? No, he's done too. Remember he did... Uh... Oh, yeah, he got kicked off of the Queen movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It took a while before It took canceled. a very long time. That was like 2019. Yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway, let's move on. Uh, into the Phantom Zone. This Final thoughts on this film. Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. This is not going to Phantom Zone. This is this was a great movie. My cons with it are minimal. Like, definitely way more pros and cons with this. It was a fun ride all the way through. No, keep this shit. This is an excellent <laughs> film. It's not what I expected, honestly, because I didn't remember what I was getting into, like we said. But it is, it's lighthearted. It's rompy. It's a comedy. It found exactly what it needed to be to be successful. You know, I have not seen the new one, but I already pity it because I'm like, <laughs> you can't be this. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and you can try. You can try to be like a dark, angsty Hellboy. Sure. You could try to ghostwriter it all you want yeah but this is what it should be a cast of characters that's fun to hang out with they're really having fun with the creatures the monster designs the fairy tale aspects the choreography the visuals it's a lot brighter and more colorful than the last movie like in a good way and it's not afraid to get weird absolutely (laughs) again 
This is a film that seems to have the minimum amount of studio interference. Yeah. They just said, Guillermo, you can do whatever the fuck you want because you made Pan's Labyrinth. That's really what I think it came down to. And it was a good choice. Oh, my God. <laughs> Again, it's really good in a really fun way. Absolutely not in the Phantom Zone. So it's like the last one I didn't put in the Phantom Zone because I was like, yeah, it's good enough. But like going back to that, I'm like, I'm not sure if I would rewatch that one. But this one I would definitely rewatch. I might, I, I might make a habit of rewatching this movie. I, I would recommend this movie to people. Absolutely, just be like, just watch the second one. Don't worry about the first one. He's a demon. Just if, roll. If you want to watch the first one, you can. Sure, but just roll with it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're, you're gonna see shit. Just roll with it. You'll be fine. But it was fun. Again, my only cons. There's one actor who was like just subpar, but like it's fine because the whole cast is really good, and I really, really don't like Danny Offman. <laughs> that's a big thing for me but other than that like the movie's fantastic this was this was a lot of fun i wasn't expecting to have this much fun with it i wasn't either honestly like i was just like oh this is gonna be probably better than the first one this one blew the first one out of the water oh, and i yeah. liked the first one yeah i think we've talked about this like there's like this phantom notion of like superhero fatigue i think that like never happened because like superhero movies learn to distinguish themselves from each other and be original and come yeah. up with new things. This is like, I feel like the ultimate example of that. Where like, this found what it was supposed to be all along. And it's way different than anything else. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a superhero movie in the traditional sense. This Right, this doesn't yeah. mesh with anything else. You can just watch this and be like, this is its own this thing. Is, this is a great movie. This is a completely original concept. Yeah. All around fun. So Definitely watch it. All right, so that's it for us, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for subscribing to our podcast on your podcast app. Thanks to that piano dude for our musical intro. Make sure you leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you're using that allows ratings and reviews. Please make sure to tell a friend. And if you told a friend, thank you so much for doing that. Telling a friend means a lot to us. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Films from the Phantom Zone. You can find us at Twitter, Films from PZ. TikTok at Films from PZ argue with us on those platforms that's fine i'll fucking do it i don't care yeah, we, we get yelled at sometimes that's perfectly okay <laughs> um, all these episodes are available on youtube as just audio podcast if that's how you like to listen to podcasts you could do that you no know, you're at work or whatever you work from home i don't know whatever it is that you throw do, it on another tab and just put it on your chrome yeah, yeah. If you want to support the show you can do that on patreon uh we're all there we're gonna be doing probably some like community things events like try to like hang out with you guys in different ways maybe play a game maybe watch a movie together we can figure something out yeah absolutely it'd be fun yeah but if you do want to hang out with us and see our faces and be a part of the show you can join us on twitch we stream all our recordings on twitch on most monday nights i think we've got like on our schedule every monday night except for like two for the rest of the year <laughs> yeah. for the rest of 2021 so uh if you're not doing anything monday nights around 9 p.m eastern time just pop on twitch hang out with us if you know something about these movies that we don't then hey you're gonna be helping us out a lot you can uh, yeah you can chime in you can give us your opinion that might make it in the show so that's how you can be a part of this show in real time i think that's everything is that everything Berto? yeah what do we got going next, Perto? I I don't know. I'm not. It's a little hard to keep track. Jesus. Oh, I, I want to say X-Men. it's X Men. It's X Men. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we said in another episode that we were doing X Men next. Whoops. Yeah. Sorry. We put that off. 
Because we're like, oh, it's spooky season. Let's put off X-Men. So we did this instead. I think after Cowboys and Aliens, we said we were going to do X-Men. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. But X-Men is coming next sometime in, I think, late October, early no. November. Venom fucked everything up. God damn it. <laughs> Fuck that movie. Anyway, if you want our thoughts on Venom, our Venom review is out too. So just go check that out. But that's kind of all I got. We will see you next time on actually our fucking uh halloween, halloween special spooktacular it's not called that but is that the title it could it's, it's, called, pro- it's probably halloween good. spooktacular it's not called that special Boom. there we go uh so <laughs> we will see you guys with that and x-men have a nice day goodbye bye <laughs>